Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the long-awaited episode of the Jim Cornette Experience that we didn't think we were going to do. And today, we're going to talk about big screen televisions, automotive repairs, awesome action figures, pets that have passed, and I guess we're going to mention the wrestling too. And to join me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's the man who forces me to do this in the name of your entertainment, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. I've never forced you to do anything. I'm giving you a third in stock, remember, as part of this deal to do this show, and the stock will be worth something one day. Right now, uh, it doesn't really have any value, though. But when is the IPO, the international piss-off? Well, this is pre-IPO. So uh, we're pre-pissing off today. That's right. I can't tell you when we're going to piss off because uh, we don't know when NASDAQ's going to approve. I almost pissed off of this whole show, and it was snake bit, and I'm surprised that we're actually doing it now. I just told you a minute ago, I've, I've almost forgotten how to do this, but over the last several days since we spoke to the people last, the people, it's been one variety of catastrophe after another. Now, the positive news, I told everybody on the drive-thru that little Harley Quinn was getting veterinary treatments at our friend's clinic over in Versailles. She is home. She's still on fluids and antibiotics, and she doesn't like to take pills, but she's being a good little patient otherwise. Uh, but she uh, she's back home with us, and that's why Stace was gone all week, uh, you know, because she was staying out there so that she could be home with her each night. But nevertheless, she's back home, and she's struggling to get her appetite back and her energy back but she's having flashes of that and we're worried about our little baby but thank you to everybody that says things on twitter and etc but around all of that so what we talked last on the the, the drive-through was uh, a production that we finished on thursday right i think i'd mentioned maybe just to you maybe on the air that i'd had black beauty in my beleaguered 2007 expedition to get worked on and serviced even though i've put less than 3,000 miles on it in the last four years but it's you know been some time since i've had all the fluids flushed and brakes worked on gotta have the brakes you know when you gotta have them worked on and you know boom and i'd gotten it back like last tuesday and it was running better than ever. Even the air conditioning was even colder. It just just lovely, right? When I went over to the grocery store last Wednesday morning. But then, in an unrelated episode, Brian, you know a little bit about the big screen televisions. A little bit. All of the big screen TVs we have in the house now are the, the new smart TVs, because Stacy's picked them out, except for the one in my TV room which was still an old, it wasn't one of those giant projection deals, but it was one of the older that every three or four years you got to replace the bulb in it, right? Do you remember those? I do. How flat is the back, just so people at home could understand, because now every TV is pretty flat. Yeah, the back, it was about a foot and a half thick. Okay. Yeah. It was it was 15 years old, but fifth, what's 15 years? I got socks on right now, that age. Really? Well, of course. You know, you darn the things. Can't be spendthrift. Can't be wasteful with a dollar. 
Maybe, anyway. Maybe with your socks you can, but anyway. Well, you never, if you start mistreating your feet, then you never know where it could go from there. But anyway, so in my TV room, where I sign merchandise and do various, you know, business activities as well, I need some something to look at in there. The bulb goes out in the TV. And I'm not going to, at this point, it's that old, I'm not going to call the TV guy, come over, put another bulb in, a couple hundred bucks, I got somebody else in my house, whatever, I'll get a new TV. So I'm thinking, you and I have just finished recording on Thursday afternoon, Stace and Harley are in Versailles, Friday morning I'm going to get up in my brand new, newly repaired vehicle, and I'm going to go down to Best Buy and get me a TV, Right? And then I know that the Monroes are coming on Sunday so they can help me get it out and bring it in and set it up, right? It's a very, it's a large, it's an unwieldy item. So I go down to Best Buy and I'm thinking again, I'm driving down the road, I'm thinking, boy, this, I should have done this a while back because this just running better than ever. Because I was going on surface streets. I didn't get out on the interstate now. I was just puddling along, puddling along, tootling along, piddling along about 40 miles an hour over there. But on the way back, got the big screen, by the way, 75 inch. It's in a box like fucking six inches thick. As you mentioned, they're thin now. It's like a credit card. Anyway, I'm halfway back from Best Buy and I start smelling this burnt rubber smell and like truck exhaust and, you know, hot grit. I'm like, what in the world is that? And I see a truck in front of me, and I think, this fucking guy. But then he turns off, and I stop at a stop sign, or a stoplight, and that's what I smoke is coming out of the front right, not coming out, it's coming out of the tire area, it's not coming out of the tire itself, and floating up into the fucking atmosphere. And because there's no wind when I've stopped, I can see it coming, I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm only a couple miles from home, and I'm thinking, I got to get fucking, you know, get home. I don't want to walk anywhere. <clears throat> so I turn right, and as I'm going up, the last place I can really get up any speed before I get to the back roads I'm going to take to get to the house, I get up to about 50, and it starts kind of going, shuddering. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck? And now the smoke is coming. I think the next thing I'm going to see is this fucking thing's catching on fire. Flames are going to be leaping up out from under the hood. I'm like, oh, shit. And I get down the side street, and I get up my driveway, and I park it and get out. And there is smoke pouring out of the, the tire area, behind the tire. And I'm, what the fuck? So I call the esteemed automotive repair place that I'd, just had it in. I said, what could this be? What has happened? Because they did the brakes and they did. He said, it may be a caliper. I said, he said, we redid the caliper. It might be malfunctioning. So can you bring it back in? We'll take care of it. I said, but this is Friday at, at lunchtime, right? I had calls coming in to blah, blah, blah stuff. I'd schedule. I said, let me bring it tomorrow. Right? I'll bring it in tomorrow and you can take a look at it. And then I'm so verklempt over this, I go on about my day. 
And then I realize about nine o'clock that night that I didn't take my daily medication that morning. Because and, and since I've I've gone this far, and I may have said this before, my blood pressure medicine has a diuretic that makes me piss. And suddenly I'll be out and about doing my normal activities or in a car somewhere, and I will realize that in the next two to three minutes, I got to piss badly. It just comes on you like that. And I didn't want to be in the car on the way to Best Buy, so I'll take my pill, my blood pressure medicine, the allopurinol that I am on now for my gout as of the past couple of months, uh, and then my, my vitamins, my B12 and my C and my D and my multi right? Health conscious. Well, I got verklempt over the fucking vehicle and didn't remember to take my pills at about eight, nine o'clock at night. My toe starts hurting. Now, bear in mind, I'm thinking, what the fuck? I wasn't even on this shit until two months ago. And now I skip it. And 12 hours later, I've got the gout. I mean, that can't be, but then I realized that since Stace had been gone all week, my entire diet had consisted of fat, fat and sugar. Because I was doing simple shit because we, we were so busy. And I'm thinking, well, that's just like I've just sat down, sat down, sat down with a spoon and eaten a jar of Crisco or whatever. So maybe that's got something to do with it. But then, so the gout comes about. So then Saturday, you and I, were going to record this program, or at least a good portion of it. But when we talked Saturday morning, because now also, <clears throat> I was worried about a deadline, because today as we speak, I was going to have to go over to southern Indiana to the Featherbottoms establishment and help them receive shipment of 4,000 pounds of valuable collectibles. More on those later. And I'm saying, well, fuck, I got to get this truck fixed so I can get over there. Not sure Stace's going to be able to come back with Harley tonight. You and I talked. You were still working on editing. I said, I'll run this truck over and see what, if they can fucking, they said they'll jack it up on the thing and they'll fix it first thing when I come in there. And then we'll get some recording done. So I run a truck over there, barely able to wear my shoes because the fucking toe is killing me, and limp in, and they put it up on the rack. And I'm sitting there, and sitting there, and about an hour and a half later, I asked the guy, he said, well, he said, we're waiting on AutoZone to bring the Framistat, and the caliper is coming from, I don't know, Czechoslovakia, whatever. Because when I pulled in there and I'd showed him, I said, look, here's what happened. Here's exactly where it was at. Oh, yeah, the caliper's got to be the thing going on there or the line to the caliper, whatever the fucking caliper does. So they're getting the new ones. I said, is there any way I could get a ride? I live two miles away. Could I get a ride home and we'll discuss something, you know, about how to come back over and do this later on because I got shit to do well in goddamn oh, of course that'll be so he, the guy runs me home 
But by then, as we're talking, I believe, I can't remember, I think I begged off because I was frazzled. It was already mid-afternoon. I said, we'll just sit down and we'll do this tomorrow, a nice Sunday. We'll get this show recorded for the people, blah, 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 right? So then, Harley, we find out, gets to come home. Stacey's bringing her home. Well, by the time that we've established that, and I've straightened up a few things. Here they come, and I'm not going to fucking tell them, well, I'm glad to see y'all both after a week. Now I'm going to go watch wrestling. So we spent the evening making over the dog and, and uh, you know, catching up on everything. And then I get up Sunday morning at fucking 6 o'clock, and I watch both SmackDown from Friday and Raw from, uh, or, I'm sorry, Collision from Saturday so that I can be prepared on that. Because at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, I got more things to do. Because by cracky, not only have I realized by this time that I've left the truck, oh, because I forgot. Saturday afternoon, they called. They said, yeah, we got it all fixed up, and we took it out to test it, and it's doing the same thing it was. So apparently it wasn't a caliper. We have to take it all apart. I said, well, you're open tomorrow. Can you do it tomorrow? No, we got no technician. We'll have to take it apart Monday morning. Okay, great. Then I've realized by Sunday morning, I've still left the 75-inch brand-new big-screen TV in the back of the truck in the box. Now they've got my fucking TV in my truck, and I can't watch TV in my TV room. So then Sunday morning I get up and I watch both shows. And by the time that they open up, the Monroes are here because they had come to work in the yard. And I sent the Monroes over to the repair place with their truck so that they could get my TV and bring it back to me. Meanwhile, I called Enterprise Rental Car and reserved right down the road here from me. The only location, by the way, open on Sunday morning. And I reserved a car so that I could go pick it up because now the Stace is home. She can take me over there. I can get a car so that I've got transportation so whenever this truck thing is resolved, I'm still able to get around. And I call the exact branch that I want. And Brian, when you call the exact branch that you want, somehow you still get Bulgaria. Now, that's a frustrating thing whenever you look up any kind of, well, not any kind, but a lot of these national companies, whenever you look up the individual local branch, and it has a local number. Like it'll, yes. Like it'll look like any of the other local numbers, and then you call it and you get India or something. Yes. So I say, I need a car to pick up before noon today. Yes, sir. What would you like? I said, what would you got? Well, we have these things. The blah. Yeah, give me that. Takes all my information. My birth date, my address, my, my goddamn life history. And okay, got it all booked. I said, so you're telling me, madam, that if I show up at that location on Hurstburn, uh, between 11 and 11.30 this morning that that car will be sitting there waiting on me. Yes, sir, you are correct. Thank you very much. I hang up. 
that's when I send the Monroes over with the truck and the blah, blah, blah. And as soon as I send them, the actual rental car location that I had called from the same number that I called called me, but this time it's really them. And they said, did you just make a reservation for a car here this morning? I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, well, we ain't got any. I said, what do you mean? Well, we're the only location open on Sunday morning, so we can't really get anything from anywhere else, and, and uh, all of it, we're sold out till Tuesday. I said, they just took my reservation. Well, that's the reservation line. I said, but how can you just have somebody on the phone giving away shit freely that you don't possess? It seems like that's a glitch in the system. So anyway, then I was back to having no transportation, but then the Monroes pulled up with the goddamn big screen television. And they were kind enough to help me get that thing out and get it in the house. And then they went out to do their thing in the yard and I'm hobbling around with one foot and we're trying to look at this thing. And Stace, because I had realized when we took it out of the box and everything, and I told you this, that this thing was wrapped so carefully, but they put a barcode sticker on the fucking screen. And... And I had tried to get it off and it wouldn't, it, you know, it would just peeling. It wouldn't come off. It's still sticky stuff. I said, hopefully, you know, get a wet cloth or whatever, right? I can't figure out why would they do this? And so I turn my back. Stace decides, well, she'll help me out because I'm frazzled. So she goes and gets the goo gone. And she puts the, and the goo gone takes the sticker right off. But now it's left a, a smudge on the, in the middle of the screen, like the size of a tennis ball. And you can see it a mile away. And I'm oh, shit. And she's, oh, gosh. But we turned it on. And you could only see it when the TV was off. When it was on, you couldn't really see it unless you were looking for it. Remember I told you about that yesterday, Brian, how that happened? You did, yes. Well, guess what else happened? What else after that? After we fretted about that, when, when you and I finished the conversation I'm about to, to tell... I went down there and we were trying to line it up and everything and make sure everything's set up just nice. And I noticed another little sticker at the corner of the TV, a little red flap. And I said, oh, what's this? And as I started pulling it, there was a goddamn clear plastic sticker across the entire screen. We were trying to take the sticker off the clear plastic fucking oh decal. My God. That's, we just peeled it right off. That screen's as clean as a fucking whistle, boy. And fuck that goo gone. <clears throat> and fuck that goo gone. Don't use that on your TV screen, folks. But it sounded but, off when you said they put the sticker right across the screen. I was like, I you didn't get this at clearance or something? No, that's why I couldn't figure out why would you do something like that. And then I realized, well, fuck. But it's so, it was hard to see down there. It's such a big TV and such a little. <laughs> so then you and I had agreed that uh, we were going to record this program at noon on Sunday. And so after I dealt with the rental car people and I dealt with the initial phase of the uh, big screen television controversy, that's when you called me and I said, Hey, I said, are we all set for noon? And you said, Oh no, oh no. Say it how you say, Oh no. Oh no. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. What's the matter? You said, well, we had severe thunderstorms here last night. 
And my whole goddamn, what do they call them up in New Jersey? Townships? My township. I didn't say that. In no way did I use the word township to you. Well, you said your whole little little town there. I said my town. I didn't say township. Well, that's, a t- that's what they say in New Jersey. It's a township. Well, there are townships, but I didn't say township. Well, uh, you were just using the abbreviation, but I knew what you were talking about. All right. The whole township was out of goddamn internet. There was none to be had anywhere. You on, had you on this street at least within the township. Oh, now now it's only a street. I thought it was a whole township. I didn't tell you it was the whole town. I don't know what's happening blocks away. I'm dealing with everything going on over here. Why weren't you out in your storm chaser van going and surveying the damage? Well, I was dealing with the damage. Well, there was no damage, but I was dealing with the internet outage here at the house, and I didn't have time to go get my drone and check out the rest of the neighborhood. Well, that's yeah. Get your. Why are you calling Suzanne a drone? I am not calling her a drone. I have a drone, a little electronic device that flies high in the air, and I can zoom it all around the neighborhood and look at the camera on the device and see what's going on where the bears are. Is that what you call peeping Tom? Nowadays, yeah. Actually. It's a drone. Yeah, pretty much. That is what you would call it nowadays. I thought I you had gotten a new hamster or something when you kept talking about how much you loved your peeping Tom. No, not a new hamster. I can never replace Greg the hamster Valentine. Well, that's true. He was a, especially his elbows. Anyway, so you say we got no internet up here because of the severe storms. Well, when's it going to come back? Probably like they're estimating three o'clock. No, well, no, no, no. They estimated like two forty. Like it was a two, weird specific yes, time. A weird, yeah, an exact time. Like how are they going to narrow it down and cut it that close? But anyway, so all right, so I said, let me know if anything changes. Well, then, of course, now Stace and I are trying to acclimate to baby still has to have uh, an IV fluid two minutes, you know, per day. And every uh, every couple of uh, or not every couple of days, but four or five times a week. And then also she has to have certain pills. She doesn't like take pills. She loves boar's head ham. That's the only thing we can get her to eat right now because she loves that. And that's not going to be her permanent diet, but we're waiting until she gets her appetite back. Did she get some pastrami, boar's head pastrami? She's not a fan. She used to like turkey, but when this condition came on her, that's how we first noticed something was amiss. She started turning her nose up at her regular supplements wrapped in turkey. But anyway, so we got all that done. And my toe's still killing me, and Stacey's legs and back are still bothering her because she had to cancel her doctor's appointment this past week, take Harley to her doctor. So finally you call me, and at that point I said, what the fuck are we doing? By the time that we could get this thing started, and everybody, I'm sure, all the listeners know how long these programs are, it again was mid-afternoon, and I had been up since 6 a.m. watching the bad wrestling, and we thought our energy level might be fading at that point. Yeah, plus so, I said if we wait a few more hours, maybe Punk will ban a few more people from Collision. We'll have a bigger story to talk about. Well, that's true, and son of a gun, <laughs> when you know who won the pony. So anyway, so now today, because it is, it was rainy and fucking... Blah, pouring rain in the greater Louisville area this morning. Hotchkiss was able to reschedule with the freight company to make our major delivery tomorrow where it's going to be not raining and 
somewhere around 75 degrees, which ain't bad at this time of year. So we're going to be out there uh, making sure that goes into proper place. And you and I are here convened to do this program finally and get this get this one in the archives. That's right. And there's so much going on. There's so much to talk about. So we should have lots of fun today. But it's it's mostly related to wrestling. Yeah. So we do have that drawback. But let's get, I want to, one thing, hold on here. Where's email number one? I got right here. I want to give a shout out to Hippie James from West Virginia. Because he sent both of us uh, an email. And it's very personal. He's been having a, a tough time with a lot of different stuff. And uh, so we won't read all the personal stuff, but we, we got that. And James, we hope that things are looking up and, and that uh, you, I know he, uh, we also sent him an email also, and he appreciated that, but I uh, wanted to publicly recognize him. So hippie James. Beyond Mike Boyette. Did you have any actual hippies in Louisville growing up? Uh, well, there were hippies everywhere. But you mean hippies in wrestling? I mean, just in life, in school. Did you have any hippies or was it too oh, late? Yeah, yes, no. We had hippies. You, you know, well, wait a minute. For one thing, um, I'm not goddamn 80 years old, but I did live through the late 60s and the early to mid 70s. Well, I guess I lived through all the 70s, yeah, but yeah. for that time period that we're, we're talking about. Yes, you and besides did. that, re- remember Troy Hippie Graham? He was a hippie. Was he in Louisville he, as a hippie? Before he became a dream. He was never in Louisville as a hippie. But oh. we just had hippies wandering down the streets in Louisville. Well, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, as you do every, as you did everywhere. All right. Some of them are still out there. This is your show. <clears throat> oh, well, then why did you interrupt me? Well, I was I had the flow of things. We'd have a nice conversation if you quit interrupting. I was just me. trying to say happy birthday, hippie James. It's not his birthday. I didn't say that. I was trying to change the topic, make him happy. How do you know he enjoyed his birthday? He's been had could have been at the root of his problems. Well, let's have a whole new birthday, hippie James. Can you imagine if you could remember the actual act of you being born that would have to be some kind of traumatic bullshit why well fuck being squeezed out of a goddamn tube out into a brightly lit fucking surgically clean area with a bunch of people wearing masks and gloves waiting to fucking slap you and cut things off of you and stick their fingers up your various fucking protuberances I've been in this place for a while now. I'm getting bigger. This place is just getting smaller. I need a bigger place. I need to be able to spread my stuff out. I need another meal. Oh, look. Oh, look. Daylight. Let me go check that out. Moving is always a traumatic experience, but again, when you only... Upgrading. But but is it an upgrade? From the womb? Well, you... You fucking leave and you spend... If you're a guy, you spend almost the rest of your life trying to get back in. Depends what we're talking about. Are we talking about a studio apartment or a two-bedroom? Well, it depends. I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions on anybody's birth canal, but, if, you know, if it's at least a little studio, you wouldn't get flung out just like a goddamn, you were shot by a t-shirt gun or something. If it's a <laughs> That's fucking Holland tunnel, you might just fall right out and gravity take over and damage your little head. The babies don't shoot out. Well, it depends on how much fucking 
like a Tijuana sex worker with eggs. It's, that's not how it works. Well, I'm, I'm saying it depends on apparently on how much grip and or friction there might be as to whether they ease out slowly or just fall right out on their own. Oops, Junior fell out again. Right, this has been the joy of life. Yeah. <laughs> But speaking of, of speaking of which, we have to have a celebration here of the lives of, of some of our fallen friends. This is more important to me now with little Harley being sick this past week that I know how people feel about their their furry and feathered family members. And we, we didn't do one last week because it was a packed show. So I wanted to just briefly, I don't want to get too far behind on this thing, but also I'm going to make one rule, Brian, that I've had to come up with. These cannot be retroactive. That's the right move. That's getting ridiculous when people are like, my animal died 20 years ago. Well, no, no, no. I mean, listen, I understand how they feel when somebody says, you know, little, little fucking Buster was the best friend I ever had. He passed in 1991, but I still think about him. I sympathize with that. But if we go retroactive with the just numerical statistics of the audience we have, this would be the entire program. So we've got to stick to things that are happening in the, in the current day and, and we'll acknowledge those. But anyway, having issued that caveat, I know you've been waiting for it, folks. This is Reggie's Corner. Reggie's Corner We're here to talk about your good boys and girls Reggie's Corner We're so sorry they're dead now You know, every time I hear a different noise in the background that I didn't hear previously It's just, it's it's terrible But uh, But for a good cause And so, like I said, we're you know we're gonna recognize some people because we don't want to get too behind. But real, real briefly, uh, KJ from Ohio lost his dog Tank at only nine years old, and he was a sweetheart, a good boy. Uh, Wesley and his wife and daughter lost their cat Ginger, who was seventeen years old, and and I, again the cats are getting the. The good end of this thing. They seem to be living longer than the, than the puppies. Um, Ethan from Maine lost his beagle Merle. And that's just such a cute name, Merle. He loved baked chicken and Brittany Murphy movies. And uh, Greg and Monica from Long Island lost their German shepherd Freya, F-R-E-Y-A, Freya, at 10 years old. It was, again, a sudden thing. Tim from Lont- Lon- London, Ontario. Tim, you might even want to cut that out or not. I don't care. We have no professionalism here. Tim from London, Ontario. Otherwise known as Londario. Lontario, yeah. Lost his golden retriever, Charlie, at the age of 13. Uh, Mike in St. Louis, his puppy, Wally, passed away at 15. He was an adoption. But he had been uh, been with the family for quite some time. Michael and his wife lost their cat Ellie, whose full name was Eleanor Rigby. And uh, I don't even know if they're from the UK. What is that? Nevertheless, why does that matter? The Beatles are international. Well, but it would be more, you know, more fitting if if the <laughs> if if the cat spoke with a British accent. Meow with a British accent. Meow. 
See, it's a whole different thing. Um, and and Matthew from Bolton, United Kingdom, wanted to have his best friend Spike remembered on the program. Is that a dog or a cat? Him. Um, uh, Spike was a German Shepherd, also. So, and that's not a cat, by the way. To answer your question, <laughs> well, I know that. I know that. Uh, Mandy from Dallas lost Leela at age 13. Um, she loved chasing skunks, which was fucking disgusting, and her paws smelled like Fritos. Just like me and Dave playing in the field. And she loved cats so much that she would groom them until they inevitably fled, looking like a drowned rat. And then I put the iron claw on the cat, and I crushed the skunk. <laughs> oh, <stop it. laughs> Uh, oh no! Was it a claw? He threw a saw blade through the cat's head. That was the story. All right, I I was not a witness to this, and I don't want to think about it. Uh, Ricky and his wife lost their boxer Cosmo, who was only six years old, a, a lung infection, and oh. his brother Uncle Leo misses him. Uh, you can tell Ricky and his wife are Seinfeld fans. Uh, David lost his fourteen-year-old good boy Jack to cancer. TJ in Milwaukee lost Beulah McGilla Kitty. Oh, come on. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. That's, that's kind of cute. <laughs> and, and lastly, Robin Wilkesbury and his son Anthony lost their Cairn Terrier Sammy. And Sammy has a, a, at least a resemblance to John Moxley. If you'd like to know how, Sammy, he says... Also had a hardcore side that would put John Moxley to, to shame. Many summers ago, she escaped through the garage of my parents' house and ran across the street into a neighbor's backyard. My father chased her right into what appeared to be a children's birthday party. Right as Sammy ran through the yard, she spotted a bird taking flight. As the bird took off, Sammy took off as well, snatching the bird in midair and killing it instantly. She then ran back across the street and into our garage, but I'm sure she left the kids assembled for that party with a memory that they'll always remember. So we're going to miss you, Sammy. But the birds are happy you're gone. Sammy! Ah, oh, Sammy! And that was Reggie's Corner. This has been... Reggie's Corner Goodbye to our friends on the other side On the next Reggie's Corner We'll talk about a bunch more pets who died Welcome to the big time, bitch! Woof woof! Alright I want to let all the strains of that uh, go away before I speak <laughs> so my voice is not connected with it uh, but anyway and Matt what what is his what is his last name again? I'm sorry, we do this every week. He asked us never to use it again. Don't use it. Again. No, no, it's Matt O'Donnell. Matt O'Donnell. Matt O'Donnell. I was thinking O'Connell, and I was wait a minute. I'm thinking of Arthur O'Connell, famed character actor. Hey, real quick, not to go into politics too heavy because a we have so much to talk about, but b let's not do that. But what do you think of the recent developments with Mitch McConnell? Because all of a sudden he stopped talking and he froze yes. at the microphone and. People started booing him out of the place in Kentucky. What do you think? What's going on? Well, look at, he's been the, he was the self-proclaimed grim reaper of 
bills in the Senate that he wanted to kill. He's been killing anything that could be good for people for years. But now it looks like the Grim Reaper is taunting him. They're just, he's disintegrating in front of our eyes. He looks like Vincent Price in House of Wax. He's paler, he's older, he's frailer. And then it was at a press conference with a bunch of other Republicans around him. He was speaking and then suddenly stopped. Never changed his expression never moved a muscle, didn't turn his head, stared for, I believe, the timing, official timing, was 23 seconds. Yeah. The last time I saw that happen was that old footage from American Bandstand, the Sid Barrett on acid, and he just froze and yeah. stood at the camera. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Mitch is on acid, unless it's something for his stomach acid. And then they they had to come up to him and say, uh senator or leader or whatever they call him in public, not in private, uh, did you have any other comments to make? And he's like, uh, no. And they kind of shepherded him off to the side and then took him somewhere to sit down or whatever. And he's fucking 80, I guess. And But uh, once again, selective uh, you know, judgment of people, all the Trump suckers and the Republican lunatics. Oh, Joe Biden's old and he's phrased senile and he can't put two sentences together. The guy overcame a childhood stuttering issue and he's 80 years old, but I understand every goddamn word that he says or what he means if he misspeaks because it ain't that far off. If you are paying attention and know what all the words mean, he's not either blathering lunatic fucking promos on his own version of Twitter from his bunker at Mar-a-Lago like a demented psychopath that's been deposed from a third world country. He's not zoning out at press conferences and just standing there like he's been hypnotized by in a James Bond movie. He knows what the fuck he's doing. Should there be age limits? Yes, at some point, uh, Diane Feinstein is. Oh, that's a mess. Very old. That's that whole situation is ridiculous. And, and and you know, there's another. What well, wasn't? Who was it from West Virginia? Uh, senator Byrd. He was a Robert senator Byrd. until he was a hundred and one years old. So yeah, there's. I think there should be not just a hard age limit in terms of 65 year out or whatever. I think there should be graduated stages. If you reach a certain age, then your position in legislature or in any public office requires you to pass a reasonable for a normal civilian person, not a goddamn professional athlete, physical test and a cognitive test on pay-per-view. And no, come on. People would pay to see that. Who, the county commissioner? I'm talking about anybody. Uh. If you're going to be a public servant at some period of age, 65, 67, okay, once a year have a physical and do an average cognitive exam. And then, you know, by the time you're in the 70s or approaching 80, maybe there ought to be a a hard out there depending on the job. 
But he, the problem is, is that if there had been a hard out at 80, Biden, who was the only person that could save us from the fucking criminal pig menace that's about to be fucking sent to multiple prisons, and I hope he fucking rots there with everybody that ever fucking supported him, he was the only guy that was going to beat that guy and save the world and save democracy, but he wouldn't have been eligible if there was a hard age limit. So you can't back yourself in a fucking corner. That's what I think about that. Well, this has been Reggie's corner. Well, you know what? God dang it. How? I didn't even mean to do that, but how cool was that? In a corner, Reggie's corner? Yeah, see? That was good. Hot All dang right. it. God dang it. Speaking <laughs> of a corner, there is going to be no corner of a giant storage unit over in southern Indiana <laughs> that is unfilled <laughs> with massive amounts of merchandise. Uh, by the time that you hear this and the imminent pre-order on sale date is approaching fast on Saturday, September 2nd, and we're talking about the Midnight Express 40th anniversary action figure set. We've said on the past couple of programs all the, the details. I don't want to bore everybody with going over everything again. You can go to the YouTube channel and look up the clip. Jim Cornette announces Midnight Express action figures for the entire story. But basically, this is this is not only the own, the first time that the Midnight Express, all four of us, have been in a an action figure four pack. It'll be the last time. This is an exclusive project of JimCornette.com and Cornette's Collectibles through Figures Toy Company. Thank them for their uh, kind support in all of this and. This is for our 40th anniversary. We won't be having another, as I mentioned, because Bobby Eaton can't be part of them. But he is part of this because the last time, and I spoke to his daughter, Taryn. Uh, that's one of the things I was doing Friday instead of driving a flaming car down the street. Um, that was definitely the last time that he signed anything was the contracts for these figures to be made. And she is so grateful to the feedback and the support that Everybody has, you know, given us so far on the, that the set looks cool and they like the book and, the, you know, whatever. Uh, she's grateful. Dustin, Bobby's, one of Bobby's sons, apparently has just had twins. So there's more grandkids now. And uh, this is something that's going to be a, a, a boon to them. But at any rate, so... This is the last anniversary. This is the only four-pack that's ever going to be done. There's going to be 2,000 of these things. They come with the 28-page full-color book with milestones and high points in our careers, lots of color pictures, also an autographed picture of myself, Dennis, and Stan, and I can personalize to any specifications. There are about 100 packages with autographed pictures from all four of us because Bobby had pre-signed some for things the pandemic came we never got to do. And there's nine packages with the Midnight Express scrapbook signed by all four of us. The last nine that I can beg, borrow, steal, or otherwise cajole away from anybody. And pre-orders for these, as I mentioned, begins at jimcornett.com on Saturday, September 2nd at noon Eastern. But if you go to jimcornett.com right now, click on the banner on the homepage, you can see pictures of everything 
all the information. And the reason why we're doing the pre-orders is we didn't have any timing frame, as we know, on these boats from China. So we decided to set the date, and the boat got in, and cl everything cleared customs a couple weeks ahead of time. But the action figures are in this country. They are about to be, as I mentioned, in southern Indiana tomorrow. And we're me Those and poor figures. Me and the feather. Well, I know it's it's you know, but they're only going to have to stay for a limited amount of time until people buy them and they're rehomed. Save these figures. Get them out of Indiana, folks. Get them out of Sellersburg. Just get them out of Sellersburg. There's some places in Indiana we can work with. Bring them to Byersburg. Buy them today. <laughs> that oh that the, I see what you did there. Uh, but the feather bottoms are standing by to get two tons of uh, action figures and the pre-orders will begin as i said on september 2nd and at that point in time when the orders come in i'll be personalizing the pictures the feather bottoms will be packing boxes and sets because also i didn't mention the certificate of authenticity that comes with each one of these sets indicating that all the uh autographs are genuine and that this is one of a set of only 2000 and then the first Saturday in October, the general on sale will begin if there are any left of the midnight four packs, along with my Christmas season starts the first Saturday in October, and all the pre-orders we are aiming to have packed and ready to be shipped by the first week of October. That's going to take the, the, uh, it's going to blunt the onslaught that we usually get bogged down by. And this is so we hope that everybody can get everything, even the international customers, that they want for Christmas by Christmas. And again, as I mentioned, um, Taryn is so happy about this, not only because of the financial boon that it will be to the kids and grandkids, but also so that the kids and grandkids can have these. Um, Bobby's, she said, has seven grandkids now, but he only saw four of them. So they're at least going to be able to, to uh, have this on the shelf. And I guess I should mention again one more time that each of the Midnight's and Bobby's family will be sharing in the profits from the Midnight 4-pack, any of the 40th anniversary merchandise equally, so that uh, because that was basically how he wanted it to be. All righty, but anyway, Saturday, September 2nd, Dennis Condry, I won't say, but Dennis Condry has a bet with me on whether these will sell out in advance or not. And I ain't going to say who's picking what, but prove one of us wrong. How about that? And we will see what happens if there are any left to go on general sale first Saturday in October. You're, you are a collectible maniac. I am a collectible person, yes. And most of the time, when you pre order, Things, I mean, I remember one time Stacy pre-ordered this Batman uh, Joker office set thing, and it was like six months ahead of time. Oh, yeah. And you have to wait. You got your money tied up. If you pre-order this on September 2nd or in the first few weeks of September, we will be mailing by the end of the first week of October. I probably right now have about 20 different things that are pre-ordered for 2025. Well, you're a sap. 
What do you mean, what? What do you mean I'm a You're sap? You're a sap. What? Why you say that? Look at the goddamn, the fires in Hawaii, the fucking thunderstorms in the goddamn United States, the fucking inclement oh weather everywhere. The thunderstorms. Not, oh, I do. We're not going to make it to 2025. The earth is rebelling. I'm going to make it to 2025 or I'm going to get my money back. Right, Colin? But anyway. How would, <laughs> well, now, Stephen P. News said it probably wouldn't take till 2025 to chase that weasel down. But no, how are you going to get your money back because of an an extinction level event if you don't know that that event is going to happen until it takes place. Do you think an extinction level event will stop the U.S. Postal Service and UPS and FedEx? I think not. These people are hardworking. How everyday how Americans who are out there, no matter what, whether it's snow, whether it's rain, whether it's soot, nuclear fallout, whatever it may be, they will be there. I don't know that I see my current mailman trudging up the fucking driveway in nuclear fallout. Well, maybe there needs to be new blood, a new class. Kind of like well, WCW. No. We'll get like the new blood of mailmen and they'll go to war with the old blood on the streets of the apocalyptic United States. I can't believe we're having this ridiculous conversation because you've missed an important point that renders this meaningless. What? How much advance notice do they have of the extinction level event? That I couldn't tell you. I would need the. If it's six months, they might they might say, "Well, fuck! I got to go to work for at least three of those before I fuck off." But if if it's twelve hours from now, the the world is going to explode. You think you're going to fucking go deliver the goddamn advertising circulars? That is crazy. You know, if we have no notice, if it's just like an asteroid's headed towards us, you have twelve minutes. See, and, and that's the thing. That's another thing is that. For heaven's sake, the notice depends on your behavior and your activity. And we were talking about if you're going to get your money back for the pre-orders. Let's say it's now 2023, you've pre-ordered stuff for 2025. If in 2024 we find out that in nine months or so something's going to happen, you might be able to get your money back. But if it's next Tuesday, these people are going to say, fuck him, I'm not sending him his money back. What's he going to do, sue me? So you're fucked. Well, there is the afterlife and karma. Well, but just uh, here's the problem. Will you get the same satisfaction if somebody gets it in the afterlife if you're already after your own life? If it's the afterlife and someone who screwed me over, it's brought to the attention of everyone that this happened and they get kicked out of heaven? Yeah, it's worth it. What if he's not even there to begin? What if he wasn't admitted to begin with? How are you going to get, is, is hell got an extradition fucking agreement? If he's already in hell, what more can you do to him? I could just, you know, laugh, mock. See, I don't think if he's standing on his head and fucking runny diarrhea with fucking devils setting his ass on fire, that he's going to fucking worry about whether you're laughing and mocking him. All right, you got well, other things to think about. What are we even talking about anymore? No, you you went on this strange conversation just because you can't admit Me. that you that you've made a stupid financial decision to prepay for something two years from now, and we don't know whether the world will end between now and then. We don't know if the world will end between now and when the Midnight Express figures go on sale. But we got a pretty good idea. No, we have no idea. It can it happen won't. within twelve minutes. We've just established no. that. We've no, no idea. No, we didn't establish it could. We established what if. But here's the thing: if you pre-order in the month of September and your shit's being mailed in October. You got a pretty good chance of getting that before we all have fucking leprosy and gangrene from all the goddamn radiation poisoning. So your issue isn't between now and September. It's basically September to October. That's the window right there where if the world ends without notice, you end up screwing everyone over the way you're accusing everyone else of doing. That's true. But because it's such a short window 
and we would probably have an inkling if something was going to go on by now, I think everybody's no. safe to make the purchase. What if something just comes flying out of the galaxy or well, into they, the galaxy? They got the telescopes now. They can see ages can, and eons away. Ages and eons away. Yeah, you can see eons. You can see eons. You can <laughs> you can see forever and ever. On a, okay. the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow come what may. So they can't tomorrow, s- tomorrow. I love you. Tomorrow, you're only a day away. So these scientists would see if anything was going to happen between September and October, but for some reason, they wouldn't see anything after that. No, that's what I'm saying. Yes. What? <laughs> that's clear as mud. I'm saying that they can't see until 2025, but they can see until the end of October. So it, you're good to order the Jim Cornette action figures or the Midnight Express action figures from jimcornette.com because we know we're pretty good between now and probably at least Thanksgiving. You said they see eons away. They can't see 2025? Well, no, that's that's years. No, but what's coming to Earth is already coming to Earth. So it may hit Earth in 2025, but they'd be able to see it because it would already be out there. Heading this way. See, these things change angles. It's like a big pinball machine. You can't be certain. What, space is like a big pinball machine? space, the final frontier. (laughs) These are the voyagers of the pinball machine, the universe. No, but anyway, if anybody sends me their money in September, we'll still be around for me to send them their shit in October. That's pretty, pretty safe. Midnight Express action figures. That's right. And if not, you have no recourse in the afterlife, ladies and gentlemen. Well, no, of course you don't have recourse. Because you're <laughs> you're fucked. <laughs> Pushing up daisies. All righty. Got a couple more emails real quickly before we do something. I don't know. I have papers all over the place. We've, it's just it's a miracle we're doing this program. Uh, this is from Justin in Ohio. Dear Jim and Brian, wanted to give some insight on some things from my live experience at SummerSlam. So he was there in the the stadium at the time. First, LA Knight is ridiculously over right now with WWE fans. He easily had the largest pop of the night on his win. And I heard tons of fans yelling, yeah, all weekend around downtown Detroit. Glad to see WWE finally giving him a push. So... The fucking Battle Royal was the pop of the night with every top guy in in their big blow-off or semi-blow-off confrontations. And the people have decided. The people have spoken, Brian, to people out there. Yeah, and WWE has listened for once. Because yeah. there's been other times in the past where the people spoke and WWE said, nah, that's not really what we think you're saying. We think you want to say something else. The people spoke and Vince wasn't wearing his hearing aids. Uh, Justin said, another thing of note. I had a paralegal's legs around my ears. Oh, come on now. Good heavens. (laughs) That's just a, that's a horrible Vince McMahon at his current age and state of him with, with bunny ears. Uncensored, uncooked, it's raw. It's, uh, oh, most definitely. As a matter of fact, it probably looks a little stale by this point. Another thing of note was during the Ronda versus Shayna MMA rules match, the experience in the building was even worse than it appeared on Peacock. (laughs) 
that was a brutal match. It was miserable watching it at home. During large portions of the match, if the crowd wasn't absolutely silent, chants of this is boring were heard. WWE obviously silenced these on the air because they were loud. And I wanted to point out that there wasn't a We Want Tables chant during the main event in the building. Apparently, WWE is pumping that chant in when they have a planned table spot. As a matter of fact, the live crowd was super quiet during the main event. The match really sucked the energy out of the building. Because it had been going on, the show had been almost five hours in, counting their initial, you know, pre-business. And the thing was moving at a glacial pace. And But can you imagine? They're doing on purpose what we talk about being the stupidest fucking thing going on when the fans, the guys are having a match and fans are chanting, we want tables. They don't want the baby face to win. They don't want the heel to even win. They don't, they're not enjoying what they're seeing. They're too busy wanting fucking furniture spots because of the fact that all they ever get is furniture spots. Jesus Christ. Can you believe they, they pipe that in? There have been a few times in the last year or so where I thought they were definitely piping stuff in. I think the pandemic, unfortunately, trained them to do that better than ever before, or at least more than ever before. They've been piping stuff in going back to the 80s, especially for the NBC events, and then later all the uh, syndicated shows. But chants, there have been a few chants where I thought they were piping it in recently, and to hear this from someone there, that confirms it. I I remember when WCW under Turner Broadcasting tried to start doing Crockett at least all the TV tapings that Crockett did were live to tape or mostly live to tape the TBS Techwood drive studio tapings, the, you know, uh, the syndicated worldwide and NWA pro wrestling TV tapings that we did around the Carolinas with the Nemo truck or at big shows or whatever. But finally, when TBS took over, they decided, well, we're a real television company, Pinocchio, and we're going to do green screens, we're going to do voiceover commentary from the studio at a later date, and we're going to start sweetening the audio so it's... (laughs) And I don't know, for two years, if they half of their programs, the audio had some issue or other in every single one of of them. Uh, They... They couldn't make it sound legitimate when the people were cheering. You could remember, you could tell that it was going up and coming down artificially. Yeah. And the announcing, depending on the show, not the quality of the announcers, but the quality of the way you could hear them was all over the page when they, they would try to do multiple versions of a syndicated show with different announcers and put them in front of a green screen. It lost all the flow, but also, I swear to God, a couple of times I heard the the other set of announcers faintly underneath the new set of announcers. I don't know what they were fucking doing, but it was brutal because they were trying to do shit Vince was doing, but he'd had a major league studio put together for years at that point. And remember, the biggest example of what Vince did was Royal Rumble 92 when Flair won, Sid Vicious eliminates Hogan, the fans cheer when they replay it on TV. The fans are booing what Sid does, and they're cheering, Hogan, Hogan. It was just a complete manipulation of the situation. 
A manipulation of the situation. Well, here, here's a situation that should be manipulated. Right now, it's just being jacked off. Uh, Barry from North Yorkshire, UK, says, I thought you might find it interesting to note how many title changes have actually occurred on the AEW Battle of the Belts events. Are, are you curious about this, Brian? I've never thought about it, but yeah, I'm curious now. Now that I brought it up. Yeah. They've had seven of them, seven of these Battle of the Belt specials that, as you'll recall, the network hierarchy gave to AEW of their own free will and their own volition to kind of make it up for when they switched them from TBS to TNT because of the hockey thing that they were going to do or whatever. You remember that a few years back. Right? I remember when they first got it. And now, of course, it's something that seemingly just airs right after whatever other show they have, either Rampage or Collision. It's not a standalone, standalone night, not a standalone event. Well, and it started out as a standalone event, but after the first one where people realized that they would mostly be standing out there alone if they were the ones watching it, they got an hour, and regardless whether it was Saturday night at 10 o'clock, I think was the first one, and they put them on at different times. But everybody said, well, that's not a good time slot. Collision. Now from 8 to 10 o'clock is doing, depending on whether it's against a WWE pay-per-view, up to seven, 800,000 people. But they got an hour of national cable television in the deal that that they had just really signed. This was when they were only on the air a year or so, and they had to switch networks, right? So instead of making something out of that, and Tony remembered the Battle of the Belts specials in uh, in the eighties that uh, Joe Coff had helped syndicate, but those had major big-time main event matches to him, Ric Flair and Barry Windham, whatever the case. They, he took the title and then made it like his own glorified dark or YouTube show or whatever, where just all the random green people in the secondary championships, of which there are many, get defended rather than making it a destination or in some way a vehicle to get something going. So... Across the seven Battle of the Belts events, only once has a title changed hands. Sammy Guevara beat Scorpio Sky for the TNT title at Battle of the Belts 2. Also, only once has a vacant title been fought for. Sammy Guevara versus Dustin Rhodes for the interim TNT championship at the first Battle of the Belts event. That's it. The last five Battle of the Belts events have all have seen all champions retain their championships. And not saying you need to switch the fucking title, you know, regularly on television or whatever, but when you've got a program built around it being a Battle of the Belts, and there have been seven of them, and there's generally three matches on each program, that's... <laughs> In 21 times, one fucking title has changed hands. How many title matches have there been? How many different titles Almost have been defended on it, that show? I don't know how many different. Ring of Honor, New Japan, uh, AEW even. I don't know how many different titles, but almost every match on those specials is for some kind of title, and men's and women's divisions and et cetera, right? So 
And nobody talks about them because nobody watches them because nothing happens on them. Which came first, the chicken or the bad booking? Well, that's the other thing. Considering what those shows have been, and we've ignored a few of them, should they even do title changes on there if no one's watching? Well, no, you shouldn't do title changes on a show that nobody's watching, but you shouldn't have a show on national cable that nobody is watching just because it's never interesting. So there's a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas. They could do some different things now if they'd have done some different things before. But they got, ah, what's, what's one more hour of TV on national cable for free? What the fuck? Anywho, uh, and there's another where, oh yes, this was a note. Did I hear that Dominic Mysterio was just palling around with a bunch of fans on his recent cruise on a cruise ship? He was taking pictures and signing autographs and having all kinds of fun. No, that's actually not what happened. But <laughs> of course, the Cult of Cornet Facebook group, you could try to join today. There are some questions we've been letting try people in. Today. Well, there's thousands, tens of thousands of people trying to get in, and we're going through everyone, making sure that's a good, curated group of people. Do you swear you're still letting people in, or are you just saying that? Jace just let like 150, 200 people in in the last couple hours. So yeah, out of out of tens of thousands, out of tens of thousands, it takes some time to make sure we have the quality of people that we want in there. But one of the people that got in, uh, either joking or completely oblivious, said, "Here's a picture of me and Dominic. I met him on my cruise, but he wasn't with mommy." And it was some Latino gentleman who looked nothing like Dominic Mysterio. <laughs> and this other guy's very happy to meet him. <laughs> so you can see wonderful content like that in the Cult of Cornet Facebook group. Well, we're glad that we can serve. But it, do you think we're popping somebody's bubble? Is this going to be like the, the woman that thought she was married to Stan Lane? Are we ruining something for somebody that made their vacation when we poo-poo that, that it's not really Dominic? See, it's concerning either way. Either it's someone who watches wrestling and didn't realize that this generic individual was not Dominic Mysterio, or it's the other way where this guy said, you know what, I'll get some attention by pretending whoever the hell this is in his photo is Dominic Mysterio, and I'll sit back and watch everyone tell me I'm a fool. Either way, it's concerning. Well, we, no, we don't call the people in the Facebook group fools. If you think Dominic Mysterio is this guy, he's a fool. Well... That may be, but we still don't call them that. We just think that about them. So if you're in the Cult of Cornette Facebook group right now, we will never call you a fool, but we think you are, just so we're all clear about this. No, I don't think all the people are, but there are certain fools amongst the many. Certain fools? There are certain fools. A certain kind of fool. Okay, give me specifically the names of three fools that are currently in the Cult of Cornette Facebook group. I'm not going to do it by name. That would be embarrassing to some people, and... It would also leave other people out, so I don't think it's fair. Well, why don't we set up some kind of system here on the program where people can go and buy lists of people that we have certified <laughs> are fools so that they don't get fooled again? Because fool me once, well, you can't get fooled again. So Wow, there's so much to unpack here. What we need to do is we need to ascertain who the fools are and then set up a website and market the lists of people that are really foolish to other people that want to stay away from fools. I think that could be a good business plan. This could beat corny coin. Oh, boy. Well, anything could be corny coin, but we'll see if any of this works out. But again, the Cult of Cornet Facebook group, just go to Facebook, look for Cult of Cornet, official Cult of Cornet, 
and uh, apply to get in. And of course, there are some other bootleg sucker MCs out there pretending that they are the Cult of Cornet Facebook group or another Cornet Facebook group. Fuck those guys. They don't have anything to do with us. Tell yeah. them to go to hell. Yeah. And I think I'm I'm going back to my business idea. Oh, I think I'm going to start that up. You're not going right? to start that up. Online, I'm going to, you know, I'm already a king yeah. of online commerce. You don't even know how to turn a computer on. What are you talking about? But I got the feather. See, that's the thing. You, you can be, you can be dumber than a box of rocks. You can be dumber than a mud fence. You can be just outright stupid. But if you get the right partners, well, then everything's sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, and waterfalls. And that's the thing. I may not be technically savvy, but I've become a king of e-commerce thanks to the feather bottoms. But the feather bottoms, they're not available to just any anybody at random that walks up and says, hey, turn me, an ordinary non-technical citizen, into a king of internet sales and commerce platforms and things like that. They, they won't do it. The feather bottoms are highly specialized with who they deal with. But everybody out there now, thanks to a new friend of ours, Brian, can become a king of commerce on the internet with the internet's best converting checkout, which is Shopify. Yeah. Shopify. Our new friends at Shopify. I'm going to say that until people recognize it because Shopify, they're the kings of the commerce platform. They are revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. And whether you're a, a garbage entrepreneur, maybe that's a garage entrepreneur. Yeah, what the hell's a garbage entrepreneur? Well, that's somebody who's made their money in garbage. You know, you got to do something with your garbage. You can you can bury it. You can send it out to sea. You can, you can burn it or you can sell it to people. But whether you're a garbage or a garage entrepreneur or you're ready for an IPO, we know people that are ready for IPOs, or at least they think they are. <laughs> Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle, without the grind, because they put you in control of every sales channel. If you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person POS system, well, I don't know why they'd knock their system like that. It's not a piece of shit. No, 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 I no, think no, it's, that's I not, think it's that's well. Not, that's not what POS stands for in a, a commerce setting. Oh, well, from the Shopify's in-person POS system, or if you're offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered because they know how to do all this stuff. Because, well, you remember, Brian, it was chaos when I was doing all my own shipping and fulfillment and everything at, at my website. And I had to reach out to the Feather Bottoms. If you can't be lucky enough to find a Feather Bottom near you, Shopify is the place to go. No matter how big you want to be, they'll make you bigger. And they're big enough to handle it. Oh, they're not going to get broke down. So, right now, if you want Shopify to be your no-excuses business partner, and you want to sell without needing to code or design, or all of those other hoity-toity phrases that these internet people hit you with. You just give Shopify your ideas. They will open up the shop, baby. And they'll make <laughs> it easy for you to show up exactly the way you want to. They have gorgeous, flexible templates. Have you seen their flexible templates? They can put their, <laughs> their big toes all the way behind their ears on the other side of their head. 
and powerful tools. They have tools. You plug this shit in. It's powerful. Uh, there, there's Al-enabled tool. Oh, that's AI. AI-enabled tools to instantly write compelling product descriptions and email subject lines that will help save you time and sell more. And once that you teach this AI how to write like you, well, then it's going to take over your fucking life and your job, and you won't even be necessary anymore. Well, but until then... No, let's not go down that road. Until then, Shopify is going to be in control of things. Uh, they make getting paid simple. They accept every type of payment. I'm, t I'm talking credit cards. I'm talking PayPal. I'm talking trading stamps. I'm talking cash in a cardboard box with a string tied around it in the back of a fucking parking lot. They will take every type of payment from these people and they will take their money sometimes at gunpoint. No. And they will send no. you the money that they take from these people. Never at gunpoint. This is not in any way how this process works. But of course, they will work with you, the consumer, the entrepreneur, whoever you may be. They will work with you to make sure your online presence can monetize in every way possible. Well, yeah, it says once you start selling, Shopify makes getting paid simple. That's well, they're right. going to make sure you get paid. So instead of you having to go over to these people and rattle them around a little bit, turn them upside down and shake them for change, slap them about the head and face, Shopify is going to do it for you. Metaphorically speaking, yes. They're looking out for you. Well, they, they, they'll hit you with a metaphor, two before, whatever kind of four they're going to hit you with, unless you pay up. <laughs> So anyway, running a growing business means getting the insights you need wherever you are. And they have a single dashboard where you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere. I guess as long as you're in their car, you can drive it anywhere you want as long as you can reach their dashboard. But right now, It's, it's folks, a digital dashboard, but go ahead. Well, yeah, most of them have been. I haven't had a fucking dashboard that had like the needle that goes up for ages. It's always digital now. Well, it's a, it's not in a car. It's a dashboard without the car for a well, virtual. What, what good is where are you going to get? Well, you just got a dashboard without a car. Well, you're not you on can, the road. You're trying you to can play with the buttons, but you're not rolling on down the highway. You're trying to run your business. You're not trying to drive a car. It's a well, dashboard. It what? It says from anywhere. You can run yeah. your business from anywhere. How are you going to get anywhere without a car? On a, a computer. A car under your dashboard. On a computer. Oh, so you mean that when we start talking to the folks at ExpressVPN about shifting people's locations, that they will put you behind a dashboard without a car under it and send you over to Shopify? I don't think one sponsor necessarily has anything to do with the other, but of course, Shopify is a great way that the listeners who run their own businesses can run their businesses and get the money on yeah. their websites with Shopify. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, just sign yeah. up with these, sign up, yeah, sign up with these people that we're talking about, and they will make people send you money on the internet. It's as simple as that. People who purchase things will send money. They will not make anyone do anything. Well, they, they can cajole you, they can convince you, and potentially they can get a little rough. It just depends. But right now, folks, sign up for a $1 a month trial period. A dollar a month? My God, that's, that's pennies a day. At shopify.com slash JCE, all lowercase, it says here. I guess it doesn't get to be a higher case until it goes to the Supreme Court. Shopify.com slash JCE, lowercase. If you do that, you're going to take your business to the next level today. 
because you're going to be getting a $1 a month trial period, shopify.com slash JCE. Once again, make money on the internet. Somebody should have had this idea many, many years ago, but now Shopify is doing it and they will make people send you their hard-earned cash or credit cards or trading stamps, potentially family heirlooms, whatever they can part with to That's get Shopify to leave them alone, they're going to send it to you. They're going to send you regular payments for regular things that you sell them using Shopify. And, and, they, and they'll be regular when they do it. You know what you're going to hear when you deal with Shopify, Brian? You're going to hear the sound of a happy customer is what you're going to hear. That's right. Ka-ching. Okay, I got the point. Yeah, well, there's three of them because we're going to make a lot of money. All right. Inflation. Well, this is Shopify. Shopify. What's the code? Oh, slash JCE at Shopify.com. All lowercase. All right, well, before we get to discussing some new things, an update on some of the things we've been discussing again. You know, we've given a lot of attention, possibly unwanted attention, to our favorite weasel Colin Thompson of Cast Media who owes people millions of dollars. But we haven't given as much of the spotlight to another weasel involved in this whole altercation. Boy, there's a, there's a real weasel farm involved here. I didn't know there was that much money in the weasel breeding business. They attract each other. Apparently, well, that's why they breed a lot. Uh, these, both these weasels are probably fucking each other nonstop. Maybe even the other one might not even know it, but nevertheless. Uh, Rob Ellen, who is the CEO, founder, and chairman, according to him, of Live One, who is involved in this alleged attempted deal with cast media to put one over on the SEC. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. To do something that would require SEC approval in terms of issuing stock in a company to pay people back for money that Colin Thompson has misappropriated. We've, we've gone over all of that. But uh, Colin hadn't been speaking a lot lately, but Rob did recently out in public. Yeah, and to take a step back, because again, the last update we did on all this was going through some of the actual stories and press releases about this company, Live One. Rob Ellen, again, founder. It used to be a different name, and then he, when he bought Podcast One for a ridiculously inflated price, he changed it to Live One to match Podcast One. But we talked about them losing the judgment to Sound Exchange for almost $10 million, their declaration that they couldn't cover that bill and that it would kill the company. If they were forced to pay what they were supposed to pay. $10 million. We talked about all these potential content acquisitions for pure stock. No cash, just stock. And in some cases, stock in pre-IPO in the new company of Podcast One being spun off. Real shady guy. I think we could say, from our opinion, a very shady guy. From my opinion, just a complete fucking mook, this guy. And we have an interview he just did with the podcast Business Journal, and a lot of listeners surprisingly sent this in, the editor, James Cridlin, spoke with Rob about everything going on around Live One, Podcast One, and of course, the cast media acquisition. And uh, we're not going to read this whole thing because he's a person who loves to talk without saying a lot. You will see that 
It's like the WWE writers. You'll see paragraphs and paragraphs, but when you analyze what was said, you really learn nothing in answer to the question that was asked. But we're going to highlight a couple of parts of this that just the, the audacity, or in the words of Jackie Fargo, the gall of you, uh, to say these things. We want to highlight a couple of a couple of things. And he's bandying around the names of all the big names that uh, they got in their podcasting lineup. Here's another thing. I wonder of Rob Dial and Brendan Schaub and Whitney Cummings. We haven't been able to hear how much money that they might be owed at this point. Right. And that's, again, the problem. We're willing to say, you guys stole a bunch of money from us. We hope to get some of it back. But that's not going to stop us from telling everyone all about all this shady bullshit. A lot of other people are going the other route, which is we're owed a considerable amount of money. The only chance we have of getting any of it is being strong-armed into this deal with Podcast One, which is exactly what this is. You will get no money and Colin will go bankrupt unless you take this horrible deal with us in exchange for some of the cash, as well as new terms, a new split. You have to have our inept team involved with your show now. And also, we want you to accept pre-IPO stock that you can't sell. You have to hold on to this stock <laughs> until we tell you you can sell it, and it may be worth nothing by that time. Hey, Brian, I owe you a bunch of money, but look, here's a box of bubblegum wrappers. Now, if you'll just hold on to this for a few years, then I'll tell you when it's worth the money that I owe you, but I'm paying you back. Here you go. Yeah, and again, let's be straight, too. Rob Ellen doesn't owe us any money. Live One doesn't owe us any money. They may be responsible for some money going forward for interfering in this whole thing, but as of this very second, they owe us nothing. Colin Thompson and Cast Media owe us money. Colin Thompson is Cast Media. Everyone else is gone. It's one person who has obviously been pretending to be some kind of great creative executive, and he's a complete talentless boob. Because all of his employees have either quit or suing him in a class action lawsuit or have moved on because they need to support their themselves and their families. So, yeah, he's lost his, his whole staff. That's right. And again, we want to find out exactly how long this relationship with him and Rob Ellen has been going on because Colin Thompson owed a lot of shows, if not every single show he had, a lot of money. And instead of explaining himself, instead of being honest about the situation, instead of saying, don't advertise the sponsors anymore because I can't pay you for any of the work you've done, let alone any future work. Instead of doing any of that, he concocted a bullshit deal with Live One and Podcast One, where they would give him a job even though he's proven himself to be a complete and utter yutz, they're going to give him a job. And the shows that have been ripped off, that have had money stolen from them, that have had funds misappropriated from them, those shows will be forced to enter a deal with this bullshit podcast company that has the worst reputation. Everyone in wrestling knows about this. Podcast One's a fucking joke. No one wants to be involved with them. And you have to if you want to get any of your money. Well, here, here's the thing also, Brian, the thing also is that Rob, he doesn't owe us any money. He owes other people money with all those judgments and oh, the lawsuits yeah. they've lost and everything. Well, that's the other thing. But, you have a guy who owes everyone money and the guy who apparently tries to use some of that leverage to get deals. Who knows how long he was advising Colin Thompson? Hey, listen, stop paying these people. 
Again, I'm just presuming out loud, stop paying these people. It'll cause them to need them to get this deal in order to get their money. This guy's made a history of that. This guy's company owes money all over the place. And well, all of a sudden, just, he's the one advising I just, Colin. I wanted to make the point again that our sponsors, they paid. They don't owe us any money either. It was the money that they paid to Colin Thompson that mysteriously flew away when it was in his possession. And they didn't know that these things were going on, not only with our show, but with other shows, until we informed them of that. And then all of our sponsors, as people who are listening over the past few weeks will know, have come right back to us because they wanted to be on this program. They weren't paying Colin Thompson for advertising. They were paying us. Right. And Colin's someone who has tried to present himself as being some sort of expert in getting audio content on YouTube. Go look at his YouTube numbers for all of his programming. They don't do shit. This guy's a complete fraud. And you know what? You would think that if a couple of people like us, like you and me, for example, if a couple of people like us were just out here on a platform like this with hundreds of thousands of listeners, just blurting shit out of our ass, just blatant untruths, just unfactual shit, stuff that couldn't be backed up by evidence and documentation, if, if somebody was doing that, you would think that the people that they were maligning would have a problem with it and try to do something about it. Reedy, reedy, Yeah, nothing. And, and by the way, this segment, like every other segment in this series, has been legally cleared by Stephen P. New, our counsel. So if you got any problem, just call him directly, 888-692-8084. Ask for Stephen. But Rob Ellen... Oh, Jay, yeah, just let him know you're from Cast Media or Podcast or Live One. You'll definitely get him. So the noted MOOC, Rob Ellen, CEO, founder, and live chairman, or, or chairman, excuse me, of Live One, did this interview with the he's, podcast. He's a live team. chairman right now, but he may not hold that status too much longer. Again, there's a lot of fluff here. Here's the beginning. It actually begins with an answer, not a question. We acquired Podcast One, and we continue to acquire. As you saw with the acquisition that we announced of Cast Media... And now with Fantasy Guru, I think you're going to see more of those. You're going to see the podcast industry rolled up. There's going to be a real consolidation. I can easily see us buy three or four more podcast businesses in the very near future. With what? Yeah, with with no money. With no money. This is such a scam. We're going to pay you with the stock pre-IPO, or we're going to pay you with the worthless stock of Live One as it currently is situated. They're going to roll things up. You're not Vince McMahon, Rob. You're not Vince McMahon. You're not going to buy a bunch of things and build Podcast One into a great business. Podcast One, in my estimation, is not sustainable going forward. Beyond the judgment, there's more issues. But anyway, let's get back to this interview. The topic, Jim, was brought up about Podcast TV later this year. Where does Rob think things are going with podcasts and video? Podcasting, this is Rob now, podcasting has gone from 200 million to 1.6 million? That's still in the first innings of where pod, what the fuck is this it, idiot that's, talking That's about? a typo. I think it's 200 million to 1.6 billion. It must be, yeah. Of what? Listeners? That's still in the first innings of where podcasting is going? What is he, Heyman? You're watching the habitual behavior of consumers move more and more to podcasts. We've grown from seven sponsors to over 703 years. There's always the joke, you have a face for radio. But there's also a lot of hosts that have crossed over between radio and video. 
Now you're watching video explode. And I think it's just going to continue to grow. I've talked about second windows, podcasting becoming TV shows and movies. We just did a digital live show with Adam Carolla, which nobody watched. I think there's so many opportunities for podcasters. This is a big opportunity for video and the acquisition of assets from cast media really expanded our video dramatically. Oh, first at Radio Video Boogie with a Suitcase, how much video did cast media have? And if that little small bit of video that cast media had expanded their video dramatically, then how shitty was their video to begin with? We're talking about, is anybody associated with cast media doing any numbers on YouTube? Because they had nothing to do with our YouTube. And if they were claiming they did, claiming any of our numbers, he was lying again. So where else is, uh, I love Sarah Silverman. Haven't seen her YouTube numbers doing anything next to ours. No. And again, this guy's talking almost past the reality, trying to get a message out there to Wall Street. He's trying to get a message out there. This really has nothing to do with the realities. Like, oh, video is a great thing. Who would have ever thought people want to see videos? You fucking idiot. <laughs> this has been a business for years. Sorry that you guys are playing catch up because you have a fucking shitty podcast company. So the next question kind of leans us into the direction of how he feels about the acquisition of certain assets of cast media. When we bought podcast one, it was a distressed asset. Luckily, they had Norm behind it, so they had unlimited money, and he could bail them out each time. Just for you, just so you know, Jim, Norm was the founder of Westwood One, which well, he's he's mentioned earlier in the in the article. Norm Pattis. That's right. He sold the company uh, along with his partner to Rob Ellen. Norm has since died. Westwood One, for those of you outside the country who don't know, was one of the biggest radio uh, syndicators out there, and. There's a beautiful world that would have existed if they had sold their assets to Lorimar and DIR Broadcasting had stayed in business. But anyway, back to this here. But this is such an early stage for this industry. And Colin is a wonderful guy. He's super talented, but he got himself caught up in a rough situation where the banks pulled out. Venture capital pulled out. And there was no money left for these small companies unless you sold to Spotify or Apple. All those companies they bought were losing their shirt, too. How come everybody was losing money but us? The only time we lost money was when Colin took off with it. Yeah, let's stop right there. Colin's in a bad situation. The banks and the venture capital pulled out. What did they do? And examine his books? What did they do? See that you generated all these millions of dollars in revenue? Where did that money go? Colin's in a bad situation because Colin doesn't know how to be an executive. Colin's in a bad situation because he misappropriated millions of dollars. Not because of the banks and the VC clowns. Anyway, so once again, Rob Ellen protecting Colin Thompson here. What's behind that? Oh, well, he says, so we stepped in and we said, hey, this guy put together one of the greatest lineups in podcasting. You got Rob Dial and Brendan Schaub and Whitney Cummings. It's just a massive lineup. And you got to give him a lot of credit. But you also got to help them, right? And we couldn't just step in and bail them out of the problem. We had to slowly try to fix as much as we could. So this is the part I love. So whoever wants to come and be a real partner and change the economics, the 80-20 deals are all before. They're never happening again. 
There have to be fair deals that both partners can make money. Brian, our 80-20 deal that we have with our new advertising agency is never going to happen again, even though it's currently happening. It's never going to happen with a company like Podcast One that's unsustainable. They need to try to grab back as much of a percentage as they can from the creators for really unjust reasons. Go get an advertiser and pay a reasonable rate. You don't need a company like this. What are they going to do? They're going to pay your hosting? They're going to cover that? Hey, listen, if you're making any money with your podcast, do your own fucking hosting then. What would they do that would necessitate a 60-40 split, which is what we saw? Are they going to spend a lot of money marketing and advertising your show? Probably not. They don't have a lot of money. They're trading everything for stock. The parent company says that they have to pay their judgment. They're out of business. But he's trying to give all these shows, according to him, a good deal. We've done terrific so far. We've announced a couple, including more news. Millions of dollars are moving over. We said it could be as high as $10 million, and I would say we'll be halfway there shortly. And there's no reason why we can't get all the way there. Yeah, there well, is. Good. Then, then they <laughs> can pay the $10 million judgment and be back where they started from. So again, this goes to the idea of what really went wrong with cast. The revenue streams are fine. Every show has advertisers. The advertisers pay. That's the revenue stream. It's the person managing the stream who diverted those funds to unknown places. That's the problem. He's a beaver. He's building a dam in the middle of the stream, diverting the stream. There have to be fair deals so both partners can make money. What does your company do, Rob, that any podcast would really need? You have a shit team. Your hosting can be done by anyone. Your distribution can be done by anyone. You have no good marketing or advertising. Your production doesn't really matter. What do you do that would cause a 60-40 split to be in any way acceptable? Nothing. And that question you were asking is of a gentleman named Rob Ellen, E-L-L-I-N, who claims to be the CEO. You can't take any of these people at their word. Claims to be the CEO of Live One. That's right. And once again, he's a mook. Let's go back to him here. We've spoken to every podcaster. We've offered really fair deals. Equity in our IPO to help them. They have got to decide for themselves whether or not they want to go to another platform. No other platform is going to pay them for the past. They're only going to work with them in the future. No, we know that, Rob. You're holding our money hostage. We get that. Well, you no, no, no. We're we working with Colin to hold our money hostage. We completely understand. We expect that if, if Joe down the street owes us money and won't pay us, that we could go to Bill across town and he'll pay it. No, we don't think that. We don't think another platform is going to pay the money that we are owed from this other guy. We thought he should have done it. That's right. Rob, we think you're a mook. If YouTube would allow cunt, we'd call you a cunt. Back to this. It has to be a win for everybody. I really hope more podcasters come over. Even if they just come over the distribution platform, they could get paid. Wait a minute, are we allowed to come over the distribution platform? It sounds messy. We'll all run it for them. We'll help you. And if you get to know us well, and you get to see what we do, nobody's going to leave. <laughs> you're, you're not going to be able to afford to. You're not going to see a small company that is more entwined and entrenched with their creators. We're a white glove, hands-on partnership. We're going to keep holding their hands and keep growing with them. 
Well, now I'm kind of insulted. The guy won't hold my hand till he puts a glove on. You do nothing. You do nothing. You can't create shows that people care about. You're not producing shows from scratch that people will care about. You can find things that work and try to latch onto their fucking revenue stream. That's all this is. You bring nothing to the table, Rob. You don't even bring cash. You don't even bring fucking cash. <laughs> Pre-IPO stock in my bullshit company that I'm trying to fuck everyone over on. Back to Rob Ellen here. We've gone through tough times with Podcast One before we acquired it. We made it clear to them, you cannot move with a fistful of anger. You have, you have to move over where you truly, in partnership with us, there may be some uh, words missing here. Transcription issues possibly here, or maybe he's just having a small stroke. And all of us want to grow and build together and do something great together. And even if we do something great together, we make history together. You're going to make your money back. Holy shit. It all comes back to you're not getting any of your money unless you have to work with me and my awful team. And then you'll make your money back. And by the way, how good is this team? They're hiring Colin Thompson. They're hiring the guy who blew millions of dollars. He had a company that was making multi-million dollars a year. Every single year. It was a very simple thing they had to do. All that money disappeared. Somehow this guy's getting a life vest. And all of his shows are getting screwed. We're not, because we didn't have a contract. And also, we're willing to say, fuck you. We're going to do it our own way. And look at this. Look at the quotes from this mook. Would anyone want to work for this mook? Would anyone want to work for this mook company? I just have one question to ask you, Brian Last. Is mook a word that's going to get us kicked off of anything? No, not yet. Okay. So here's the next question. I'll let you read the question. I'll answer the question. Oh, so the acquisition is around shows. It's not around staff of cast media. It's around the shows and the creative. Because again, the original stuff we heard from them was that our cast team yes. was coming forward. The original press release about the weird sale of certain assets was about the team coming over. Here's Rob Ellen. We looked at all their assets. We don't want people to lose jobs. We want to try to help them. We're growing fast. Wait a minute. Let me just say one thing. You can read the next three paragraphs, but that is the last thing that he says to address the question that was asked about right. the staff of cast media. And then he starts talking about how they're growing and their, their revenue that they think this quarter and the blah, blah, blah. He doesn't talk about any of the people that work for cast or whether they still exist in the company or on this planet. There's a lot He's more just, fluff. It's just gaga. It's a lot more fluff here, a lot more him trying to build up his company. Even when in the emails that we read on the show, I said, Podcast One fucking sucks. No one wants to be involved with that shit company. Even then, he was like writing to you, we're worth $100 million. Where's the cash? Yeah, well, that's remember, I said, well, if you're worth $100 million, you know, you only owe us a couple hundred grand. This guy's such a mook, and podcasting is his newest grift. And now he's trying to spin this off from his other company to be a stock, which I guess in a sense would be paying for all of this stuff that he's trying to do now, which in our estimation, based on everything we've learned, everything we've discovered, everything we have documented, includes trying to use his stock to compensate shows, including us, for fraud. Trying to use pre-IPO stock to repay people who had their money stolen because of fraud. That's Rob Ellen the CEO of Live One.
He's helping out Colin Thompson, CEO of Cast Media, who's responsible for millions of missing dollars. This stinks. These two people stink. I'm sure they smell like fucking fish. And I think... Don't insult fish. They didn't do anything to you. We need to do more each and every week to make sure more and more people know about this, know their names, know what they're up to, and know what they're all about. And that's what we're going to do. And if you buy stock or you have investments of any kind or you have investment brokers or whatever, tell them stay away from Live One or Podcast One until somebody wants to explain why they associate with people who commit malfeasance and misappropriation. Hey, I'll, t- I'll say another thing. In that email he wrote to you, remember when he tried to go around my back thinking that somehow that would work and go to you directly, he said he's been a partner with WWE for 40 plus years. We have a lot of people in the office listening to this show. If anyone remembers Rob Ellen doing any business with WWE 40 years ago, or 30 years ago, or 20 years ago, please or let last us know. week, or any of the involvement with him or any of his associated companies since then, get in touch with us, let us know, let us know if he owes you money. I bet you he considers himself a partner of the WWE for however many years because he's sold their advertising to somebody else in the past or done something, and they wouldn't know him from Adam's house cat. Seriously. But he likes to talk. He obviously likes to talk like he's very important. Where is the person in the world who likes the brand Podcast One? <laughs> Where is the person that gets excited if they see a Podcast One attached to a show? Oh my God, now it'll be good. It's the opposite. I'm sorry you spent $60 million buying this, but you're an asshole and you've made a bunch of stupid decisions. And you know, boy, once again, it's amazing how that people can just Get on a platform like this one and just say these things without any rebuttal from somebody. Like you, Rob, you got my email address, obviously, or you, Colin, or anybody wants to say something to me personally or Brian personally, but you can't because we ain't lying because we don't give a shit and we're telling the truth about you and your fucking screwy business deals and whatever else you've done to all these other people that are not at liberty to comment on the situation. We're in the wrestling business. We don't give a shit. Fuck you. That's right. More to come. And if anyone involved in this, Rob Ellen or Colin Thompson or anyone beyond what we're saying on the air is a problem with it, let me know. Just let me know. Call, call us up. We'll put you on a show if you want to talk to people. I'll bring a camera crew over there and slap the shit out of you. Hey, wait a minute. That didn't work out the last time. Leave the camera crew out of it. Let's just do the slap. We'll see what Steven says. All right. Anyway, I guess we should talk about some of the wrestling now, shouldn't we? Can we talk more about Colin Thompson? (laughs) 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 No, we got to talk about other weasels. The uh, we covered on the drive-through the dynamite uh, episode for Wednesday night, August the ninth. But as we recorded that, God, it seems like it's two months ago. It was like four days ago. They didn't have the ratings out. Well, now the ratings have come out, and we were again saying that, boy, howdy. I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there with tolerance for watching whatever the fuck, because you can't imagine the rating would be seven for some of these shows. But there were certain points in this program where we we anticipated a cliff being fallen off of, and so now we get to go over it and find out where that came, if it came, and who was responsible. 
Brian, do you have the documentation there? I have the documentation here. AEW Dynamite for August 9th on TBS, on average, was viewed by 846,000 viewers. And I... <laughs> they... They do 800 and something thousand. They'll hot shot a program like Blood and Guts or War Games, whatever they're doing, and they'll get up to nine. And then the next week, they'll drop back into the high eights, and then they're back where they started from. Is this, again, the range of that we can expect going hither to for forever? Possibly. And again, you know, with declining viewers on traditional television and going to the internet or other means, it definitely is going to be a declining number, I would think. But also, I think a story that maybe we should look at, maybe on the drive-thru, not today, NXT. The last four weeks, I think they had Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio on the show, and they've been almost... Just over 700,000 every single week. Well, and those were the averages. The Dominic title win, I believe it was that one, got 800. Basically, this viewership on Wednesday night got 800 and something thousand for the title match of uh, NXT that week. So they're not head-to-head, and of course, main roster people are being sent down there. But all of a sudden, NXT is popping the ratings while Dynamite's doing Dynamite things. But... AEW Dynamite on TBS, August 9, 2023. These were compiled by WrestleNomics. Quarter 1, 8 to 8.15 p.m. The Jericho Appreciation Society live breakup with Chris Jericho and an ad break. 892,000 viewers. Okay, we've got a... That's... uh, I don't... They used to start much higher, but that's been going off... Or that's been going on. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's not been going on for a while is what I'm trying to say. But uh, that's a healthy number. Yeah, they're not coming a million out of Big Bang Theory anymore like they used to. Well, I guess the 47th airing of each Big Bang episode has something to do with it. And considering they're awful the first airing, who knows about the 47th, but quarter two, 8.15, 8.30 p.m., the Chris Jericho, Don Callis backstage promo, and the Hardy Boys versus the Hardly Boys with picture-in-picture, 839,000 viewers. Ouch. Okay, so... Was it the Jericho Society segment that just made people go, ah, fuck, let's just get out of this, or did they have to wait to see that they were going to be seeing the Hardys and the Hardleys? And then they said, ah, fuck. But either way... 53,000 people said sayonara. The Hardys don't mean much anymore, and the Bucks have never, I mean, especially right now, Kenny Omega could pop a number with the right opponent, or even an offbeat opponent. The Bucks are driving away viewers every time we see them, unless they're involved in like a John Moxley cage match that goes five segments. <laughs> they're losing viewers. Quarter three, 8.30 to 8.45 p.m., the FTR confrontation with the Young Bucks, Adam Cole, just as Adam Cole, I don't know what he did. Adam Cole, oh, excuse me, Adam Cole MJF video, an ad break, and Blackpool Combat Club's backstage promo, 805,000 viewers. Ouch. Now, they got to go back up according to the average number, but now they've lost 87,000 people from the start of the program in only the first 45 minutes. Well, there's a reason stars of the past are still around today. Quarter four, Jack Perry versus Rob Van Dam with picture-in-picture, as well as a Lucha Brothers backstage promo, 861,000 viewers. Okay, well, I think we can attribute that extra 56,000 people to the Lucha Brothers backstage promo. 
Maybe, maybe no, not. I, I Rob Van Dam hadn't been on national TV in a while. Boom, there we go. I can see that happening. Quarter five, the big nine o'clock hour, and this story continues this week, 9 to 9, 15 p.m. The Adam Cole MJF in-ring promo with Roderick Strong coming out to yell at them. And the Blackpool Combat Club entrance through picture-in-picture -picture ads. 889,000 viewers, which is the high point, as well as the high point in the key demo, 425,000 viewers. No, it's 3,000 below where they started. Oh, shit, you're right. It's not that. the high point quarter, but it may be the high point of the demo. It's the high point of the demo by far. But once again, let's just stop real quick. Every week, MJF and Cole, wherever they are, Collision, yeah. Dynamite, they're popping the number. And quite honestly, the 861 in quarter four can partially be attributed probably to people tuning in what, six, seven, eight minutes early for the top of the hour where they would see and probably figured they'd see MJF and Adam Cole. Quarter six, 9.15 and 9.30 p.m. The Lucha Brothers versus Claudio Castagnoli and John Moxley with picture in picture, 844,000 viewers. And as soon as MJF and Cole are finished, we have dropped 44,000, 45,000. Quarter seven, 9.30 to 9.45 p.m. The finish of the previous match, the post-match, the Kenny Omega being confronted by Alex Marvez backstage, the ad break, and then Swerve Strickland and his crew being confronted by Darby Allen and Sting, 850,000 viewers. Good lord. Okay, that surprises me because they picked up an extra 6,000 for a potpourri quarter, but it, it, we're, what was the main event? I've forgotten. That, that's not a good sign. So were they tuning in early for the main event? Quarter eight, the main event, 9.45 to 10 p.m. An ad break followed by Hikaru Shida versus Anna Jay. Okay, I remember that. With picture in picture, 790,000 viewers. Well, and boy, they lucked out because that wasn't long enough where more people had the chance to change the channel. But yeah, that's where I... I but... I, <laughs> Looking at it, I can't believe that the third quarter hour did only 15,000 people more than the last segment there. Because one would have figured that they, well, maybe people were just asleep on the couch at that point. If this show and, didn't have MJF and Adam Cole, this, it would be a straight nosedive from the beginning to the end. Yeah, pretty much. And it's been like uh, that several weeks in a row now. So whatever we want to say about the goofiness, and I don't like the bro segments, I like the in-ring stuff, uh, either the in-ring promos mostly, or the matches minus the dance segment. Yeah. But whatever we say, that is resonating with the AEW fans more than anything else company-wide right now. What do you think it says about the AEW talent roster, the AEW office staff, the AEW fans, every every affiliated party around AEW, that the biggest things that resonate with those people are, are you going to be my friend or are you going to be his friend? I want you to be my friend, but you can't you you like him instead of me. It's always that, isn't it? And I mean, yes. I, I know wrestling has always been about friends betraying each other and backstabbing and jealousy or whatever, but it seemed like it was, nobody ever complained about, well, you were my friend. Just uh, taking it to these simplistic, childish components. Well, Jimmy Valiant was kind of upset at Pez, now that you think about it. 
That's true. I mean, they were and friends. Then, they were friends. They were friends. And then suddenly Pez became Shaska and you know, Boogie got his head shaved. And If the Young Bucks and Adam Page, I'm not, I'm not even going to leave Omega out of this. If they had been booked by someone other than themselves from the beginning of AEW, and if we haven't had four plus years of a fucking rack store cowboy having emotional issues and worrying about who his friends are and the Bucks worrying about whose friends, every single thing they do is about who's friends with who. That's why people think it's all stupid because they're stupid. But yeah, we get way too much of that. Never like you tried to fuck my wife. You want to make something realistic nowadays? You fucking Instagram something on my wife. Nothing like that. <laughs> Instead, it's like, oh, you don't want to hang out with us anymore. Oh, oh I do. Remember when Paige took the job guys on a ride on his new lawnmower? Yeah. That helped. <sighs> but it, he's trying to have a career to fall back on. As a landscaper? As a landscaper. I would Paige farming only has its, its seasons. Anyway, that was dynamite, wasn't it? It sure was. All right. Well, you know, after dynamite, it's probably best if you watch that program, if you get a good night's sleep. Or if you, if you just need something to calm down, you've got stress and anxiety over bad booking or childish talent, or maybe you've got pain, you got pain in the ass or a headache or something like that. Whatever the case, I think you, before you, you lay your weary head down on one of the mattresses that we often recommend here on the program, you got to make sure before you get your atmosphere right, you got to make sure the body and the mind are right, Brian, right? Is this correct? Yes. Yes. That's why that 90% of customers of the CB distillery report they have better sleep with CBD. And 81% of the customers say CBD helps with stress and anxiety. 80% report less pain after physical activity, and it helps with your focus and concentration. 4% of the customers say that they can see through walls and predict the future. No, they don't. Well, no, that's what they said on their form. Now, that's I mean, not what they not said. Fact check these things. I said it on my form. What? I was staring at that wall until suddenly I could see my next door neighbor out by her pool wearing nothing but a smile. And it disturbed me because she's 80 years old, so I had to take more CBD. What does this have to do with... Whatever we're talking about. It helps your focus and concentration. I'm telling you, if you take a couple of these and you sit down and you stare at your wall, you'll be able to see right through it after about two or three hours. That's not true. That's not and the way this works. This is something that can help you get sleep, not have weird... They may not want any of this. <laughs> may not... It does not cause weird delusions or anything. Hallucinations is That's what right. you're saying? That's what I'm you saying. You said I was just seeing all that of my own volition. It, it, it didn't have anything to do with the the CBD and other plant-based solutions that are carefully formulated from CB distillery. Didn't have anything to do with that. I was just imagining things. It could have been the Sprite. It could have been the Sprite because is there, is there that artificial sweetener that causes your bladder to fall out and this stuff? Anyway, there's nothing artificial about the products, the full range of carefully formulated CBD and other plant-based solutions you will find at CB Distillery, there's no artificial colors. You know what an artificial color is, don't you? Yeah. That's when you just make up your own. 
What? If you had a shade between red and magenta and you called it blurkfuck. Well, then that's, that's an artificial color. It doesn't really exist. I don't know if that's what artificial colors are, but that's an and interesting artificial example. preservatives, there's going to be no formaldehyde. There's going to be, there's going to be no, uh, no preservatives of any kind in these, these fine items. No, so this you don't is, have to worry about embalming yourself. No, as we said before, this is the real deal. This is real stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, now you're not talking about what you might buy on the counter of a truck stop, are you? For heaven's sake, you know, this stuff is recommended by Dr. Kevin Fry. He's a Mayo Clinic trained internist. He's a preventative health specialist. He can prevent health better than any doctor on earth. And he's also Glenn Fry's brother. So you got that. No, he's, he's musically talented. Don't say that. We don't know if that's Glenn it's Fry's It's spelled brother. the same way. You mean there's more Fry's in the world? Yeah, I know Jamie Fry over in Brooklyn. Oh, well, I thought he was related to Glenn, too. No, he's not related to Glenn. Get out of here. Second marriage? The Brooklyn what? All righty. There's over 2 million satisfied customers, folks, from CB Distillery because they give you the real stuff that's not artificial. It's 100% clean, and it'll help you with everything, especially the focus and concentration. I'm telling you, in hindsight, I think I did bend that spoon. But... You if didn't. you're frustrated, you didn't. I, I certainly did. After a little while, I, I stuck it under my foot and pulled up on it. If you're frustrated with a health concern that's not getting better, try CBD from the source that we can all trust, cbdistillery.com. And right now, we're going to take you down the right path. Not the garden path, not the primrose path, but the right path, the yellow brick road to happiness. You're going to get a 20% discount. If you visit CB Distillery, that's D-I-S-T-I-L-L-E-R-Y, cbdistillery.com, and enter my code J-C-E for your discount. There is no prescription required, so nor no forgery on your part is necessary in order to avail yourself of the fine products at cbdistillery.com, promo code J-C-E, 20% off whatever they got. You can have tape, buy the clothes off their back. They'll sell it to you. They're, they're fine folks. And they're calm. Yeah. They're very calm people. Thank God. I wish you'd be more calm. Why? What? Why don't you start taking some of this on the air? I can't, I can't take th things to make me calm on the air. I might go to sleep. Especially as interesting as you are lately. Well, if you need to calm down and go to sleep, try CB Distillery. I, I love that uh, that scene in the uh, the old Fields movie. The nurse is trying to wake up, wake up, and take your sleeping pill. <laughs> anyway, all righty. Should we talk about the SmackDown this past week? I mean, we can. Yeah, I we guess can. that's a full throated endorsement. How are you? How are you feeling, SmackDown, coming out of SummerSlam? Well, as uh, it seems like there's more violence in the titles than there are in the program. SummerSlam, SmackDown. You watch TV and it's a lot of walking to the ring and having conversation with other people. Am I lying? No, that's SmackDown. You would think if somebody's going to get smacked and somebody's going to go down, there'd be more violence on this program. But um, this was SmackDown for August 11th. As, uh, as we know, that was just merely like not even three full days ago that uh, we are sitting here now. And the opening match was Charlotte versus Oscar. I believe this was for the 
one of the women's titles in the in the company. Was it or what? No, it wasn't. No, she lost Oscar it to Bianca. Lost it to, yeah, that's right. And that's then Bianca right. lost it to Eo. And then Bianca lost it to Eo. And then chased the cat that ate the rat that lived in the house that Vince built. So no wonder we can't keep track of who. They've had three champions in the last week. But anyway, they went two minutes to the Even the first match with two main eventers, two minutes to the break. But uh, finally, the uh, the upshot of the whole thing was that Charlotte made a big comeback. She was about to get the figure eight. And then here comes Bailey and EO and who's he? What, what's her name? Montana? Um, Montana. Idaho? I, I didn't see Dakota Kai. Dakota. Montana. I thought <laughs> Bailey, I wrote Bailey and her group came out. I thought she was in that group. I think she's still uh, hurt, so even though she celebrated at SummerSlam, I don't think she was here. Ah, well, Bailey and EO at least were there. And they came to ringside and basically attacked both Charlotte and Oscar and got a DQ and got some heat on them and left. And that was about what happened. Give or take a lie or two. No, the commercial kind of screwed up the flow of everything. I wanted to see this a little bit, and... uh you know, early in the show on SmackDown. Well, they had, um, what they're doing is, uh, the matches are the least important part of this television program. They want the people to see the entrances because that makes people look like stars. They want people to hear these endless promos, not only because they think that that's what's going to primarily sell tickets, but also because the writers have to justify their job. And then they, they're going to show packages of all the big stuff that happens on other programs like SummerSlam. They had a tribal combat package here. And that's great. They just don't have any room for these pesky matches. So, and then after the tribal combat package, which was very, very good, it, it, I'd rather see that thing told in three minutes than 45, to be honest with you. But when they come back, one of the matches that's been announced and advertised, Escobar challenging Austin Theory for the U.S. He's got the U.S. title, right? Yeah. Well, Escobar gets jumped in the back by Theory, and he slams an equipment case on his leg. So now Escobar is in question for the main event tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll talk about it later. Talk to me about Karrion Cross against AJ Styles. Have they just they they give Cross these spooky pre-tape promos so Scarlett can growl at people and he can say some pre-written, you know, grandiose dramatic material for about 45 seconds. But then every time he works, he gets the shit kicked out of him and it don't take too long. So what are we supposed to think here? I'm not exactly sure because they always do something to make you think they're going to do something. Remember, there was a match where Karrion Cross came out of the crowd and choked out AJ. He was still yelling at him, it's not over, during the Battle Royal at the pay-per-view. And then AJ just beats him right yeah. in the middle of the ring with his finish. I don't know what to think of it. And Scarlett is like right down the lane of what Vince McMahon would want to push as some sort of character on the show. They do nothing with her. I don't know what to think of all of it. Scarlet is the closest thing to that resembles Sable that they've had in 25 years. And that would obviously we know about Vince's alley and what travels up or down it. Um, 
Yeah, this again, this match, two minutes to the break. They came back. AJ hit a splash. Scarlett put Cross's foot on the ropes. Mia Yim was with AJ, so the girls got in a fight at ringside. And Mia threw Scarlett over the fucking desk, just flung her, and AJ hit his finish, one, two, three. And that was another case of there you are. Right, what are you supposed to think of that? Just AJ got a win? You can't really care too much more about Karrion and Scarlett. Like you said, she got thrown one way, and he got, he lost he, to the finisher. He got beat. In middle of the ring. You know, maybe he had to go out and, and park some cars afterwards to finish up his night. But I mean, now he, he looked like something, we've said this many times, bald, and when we were just getting glimpses. But if this is what he's got, the hair killed him. We're not really blown away by his matches. She does very little of anything. So I don't know what's, what's going on. But the Brock and Cody package was tremendous. See, the, the packages on this program are w without compare. That's always, then, been, that's always been WWE's strong suit. Yeah. And I mean, they can take a shit sandwich and they can make it look in a minute and a half or two minutes with some music and editing like you missed the goddamn greatest meal in the world. But then speaking of the greatest meal in the world, in the back, Ray is mad. Ray Mysterio, he's mad about Theory for attacking Escobar and trying to fuck this whole thing up. More on that later. And then we came to Edge in the ring. I and couldn't wait to hear what you thought of this. <sighs> it's kind of like putting me in a Wendy's cheeseburger eating contest against stiff competition. You like what you're consuming, but by the time you get to the point where it's that fucking much of it, you're sick of it. Is that kind of what you thought? <laughs> I have not been a big fan of Edge's promos for the last year and a half or so. So when he came out here, I was like, okay, let's give this a moment. He started talking in the way he does, and I kind of got pulled out of it. But by the time, and I'll let you tell the story, it got to where it was going. Then I was really like, what is this? That's a th This went on and on for very little reason, because they could have said, well, they could have said all the things they said in this segment quicker, but they could have said what needed to be said a lot quicker. But Edge came out, his 25th anniversary is next week in Toronto with the WWE, but he came to Calgary because it's been too long since he's seen those people, but also he wanted to say that next week he wants a match against somebody that he's never faced before. And I'm saying, ooh, this could be intriguing. And then he, Seamus. And I, what? And it was your first thought, really? They've never faced each other before? I feel like I've seen this guy wrestle everyone 20 times. Well, no, my first thought was, I don't care whether they've ever wrestled before. I don't think anybody ever wanted to see him ever wrestle before. <laughs> um, and, and then there was a long explanation of how that old, old Seamus is the guy who got him back in shape for his return after a nine-year retirement. And then they showed footage of the, the long explanation of a bicycle ride that they did for Seamus's YouTube show that convinced him that he could wrestle again. And he worked out with him before his Rumble return in 2020. 
And I wrote at this point, because he was there about five minutes before the top of the nine o'clock hour. I said, well, Edge has taken long enough by the time that he introduced Seamus and the Brawling Brutes, it was the nine o'clock hour. And then they, they showed tape of the bike ride and Edge wiped out. And then they showed a picture on the big screen of Seamus sitting on Edge's daughter's bike. And then they traded scripted witticisms and or put over comments and or, or snide comments. And Seamus went into the story of 2004 when WWE came to his town and he met Edge and they owe each other so much that they want to fight. Of course, that makes perfect sense. Brian, put them up. I'd like to kick. You've made me a ton of money. I'd like to kick that shit out of you. I wrote, Jesus, everybody can speak here, but this is the longest, most boring reason for a match ever. In quotes, we really like each other and have a great history together, so let's fight. That's what, and then finally, they agreed to the match. They shook hands and Seamus told Edge he hopes that he wasn't making a mistake. And that took well over 15 minutes, did it not? It took a long time. Edge was going a while before Seamus even came out. Well. I don't know what else you want me to say. I mean, it was just bizarre. I don't, I don't want them to say anything else, that's for sure. It's just two baby faces, like, nicely agreeing to wrestle each other for no reason. Obviously, that match will go somewhere. Someone will do something. Maybe Edge needs to show him that he's not the soft bike riding guy that he thought. I don't know what the fuck this was. I don't know. The other brutes just stood there in the back like cheerleaders. Yeah, why did they come out when it wasn't going to be? They, It's two baby faces, and they're talking to each other face-to-face straight up. The, the other guys, when they come out, then maybe they're going to switch Seamus heel which might not be a bad idea. Yeah, and the other two brutes are wearing like soccer shirts and he's out there dressed like he's going to clean the sewer in <laughs> at the 1870s. I don't know what this is. And then they're going to have this match. You're smiling at each other. The only moment you get anything is that very last moment where Seamus says, hope you didn't make a mistake. Until that moment, it's like they were hugging each other, smiling. They're loving each other this yeah. whole time. Bizarre. God damn it. Teach you to do something nice for me. But then we had a SummerSlam Battle Royal package. And we know who the star of that match was. L.A. Knight, with everybody saying it. And then we got the treat of the week. L.A. Knight versus Flop Dollar. Apparently, they trust L.A. Knight now with anything because they haven't been letting Flop Dollar get in the ring. Um, and, of course, they gave him his entrance in the break. Flop, that is. but. Again, you can't let them go long. If, what What is their goddamn group name now? I've forgotten. Hit Row. Hit Row. Or Skid Row. Or Death Row. Or whoever the fucking. But nevertheless, real quickly, the heels take over with interference from the partners. Flop Dollar looked like he was wearing Mighty Igor's long underwear gimmick. Did you like that? And then L.A. Knight makes a comeback, hits the L.A. elbow, hits his finish, one, two, three. And I was kind of disappointed that Flop didn't do enough to really screw the whole thing up, but it's fascinating watching him with those awkward body movements. And then L.A. Knight cut the promo and talked to us. Yeah! 
and the people loved it. So they're finally doing this and, you know, where this will end up. I don't know who I would put L.A. Knight with to elevate him to the main event, you know, status that they obviously are hoping for on this roster, but it it should be a heel because he's going to be more popular than anybody else, right? But um, he's just been back and forth messing with everybody. Very Austin-esque. After everything he's been through booking-wise, they're giving him wins. And at times they just have him come out there, get the pop, say his thing, and leave without looking weak. That's a step in the right direction for the way they treat people there. With everybody saying it, you know what else everybody was saying? What's that? At least Escobar was telling Adam Pierce he can wrestle tonight. Even though he got his legs slammed in a fucking equipment case, he can wrestle. So the main event's back on. Explain to me what's going on with Bobby Lashley and the Private Profits. I can't other than he's taken them under his wing. He's brought them to a tailor, gotten them some new suits. They attacked the babyface team previously, and now they're hanging out in a club, but there's no one else there. So, yeah, they are in a private club, meaning it's only for them. And they're sipping whatever beverage, and they're wearing nice suits. But basically, Bobby has given them a a lesson in haberdashery and how to dress. Otherwise than that, they hadn't really... I don't know what the fuck's going on. The Hurt Business. What... (laughs) Let's just do it again. So then, here comes Escobar for his big title match with Austin Theory. And he's not even in the ring yet. He's coming down the aisle, and Theory comes out and kneecaps him. And down he goes again, selling the leg. And Theory cuts the promo. I was going to defend, but he's too weak. He can't make it. And then as as everybody, including Adam Pierce, is checking on Escobar, Escobar asks Adam Pierce to make the title match against Mysterio. And Ray hits the ring, and off we go into action. And off we go to the break in 30 fucking seconds. But all right, now I'm I'm flim-flammed and bamboozled. Because it looked like that they were going to make Escobar the new Hispanic babyface hero by putting that title on him after Rey Mysterio endorsed him and blessed him, and as we saw, then he won a match against Mysterio to get this. But (laughs) in this match, again, 30 seconds, they went to the break, they come back, and Mysterio is still looking good. And still cooking, and within two minutes, he hit the 619-123. New champion won the U.S. title. And Ray and Escobar and the LWO hug each other and celebrate. But what the... Was this a legitimate injury to Escobar and a cover reason? Why would you not only have Escobar go that far, but then have Mysterio not only endorse him but put him over and that was that match was fucked up because Mysterio got his bell rung before he could be pinned but it it was stopped and Escobar won it and then do an angle where Escobar can't go for the title and Ray fills in and Ray wins it easily 
He beat Theory quicker than goddamn John Cena was able to do so. And now Ray's the champion. Does that mean that Escobar is now going to stab him in the back over jealousy and become a heel? Or has Escobar been slotted as the best friend and Robin the Boy Wonder next to Mysterio? How does this work psychologically? I'm not exactly sure. Again, I was surprised by the finish. Can't say I'm surprised by an angle or a match or anything, but taking the belt off theory, putting it on Ray was a surprise, and maybe it leads into Escobar, who went from being a lucha suit to being in the LWO like overnight and respecting Ray when Ray was having the issues with Dominic. Maybe they realized that Escobar as a heel would be better than Escobar as a babyface. Maybe, who knows? Who knows what the reasoning is for this? I was surprised, though. It looks like they started to do something and Vince changed his mind. Is one of those, I'm not saying it. I don't know it. But uh, I don't know what's going on. Anyway, so then we got an in-ring promo with Roman and Paul and Solo. And have you noticed now, especially when he turns sideways, Paul looks like he's had what little hair he has left drawn on his head with a Sharpie. Well, I think he dies what hair he has left. But he's, he, okay, yes, he's dying the, most of the hair on the sides of his bulbous bison head. Will you stop it? <laughs> you know, I'm just saying it. He's got that profile of like a bison where he's got the hump on it. But, <laughs> but he's dying it black, but then he's, he's putting in like the greasy kid stuff or whatever, because instead of individual hairs, you see giant thick black bands, like four or five of them. And it's hair stuck together, so it looks like it's drawn on with a Sharpie. Maybe. But anyway, so Roman says to Paul, says, where's Jimmy? And Paul says, I don't know, I haven't talked to him. And Roman's not happy about that. But suddenly, Jimmy appears at ringside and comes into the ring. And we will recall that Jimmy is the one who pulled his brother Jay out of the ring and cost him the win at SummerSlam and et cetera, et cetera. And Roman tells Jimmy, don't worry about these fans. They, they don't matter. I owe you one. You name it. What do you want? You want money? You want a car? You want a boat? A yacht? A jet? I don't I believe the money, the car, even the boat. The yacht, maybe. But a jet, I don't know if he's willing to go that far. But Jimmy didn't want anything. Because what he did, and this is the explanation we've all been waiting for, what he did had nothing to do with Roman Reigns. And Roman's like, well, that's, that's ridiculous. I run this place. It's all about me. What do you see? You don't want the material thing. You want power. You want to be the new right-hand man. And right as he says that, Jay Uso's music plays. And Jay comes down. And now Jimmy and Jay are in the ring face-to-face. Face-to-face, they faced each other. Stuck out their bellies and run at each other. That's an old Big Bad John interview. And then Jay demanded to know why, Jimmy, why, why, why? And Brian, this is where that Jimmy explained why that when Roman attacked Jimmy and sent him to the hospital and Jay decided to get even for the hospitalization of his twin brother by coming and beating Roman and taking the tribal chiefness away from him so that he couldn't bully all the rest of the family anymore, Jimmy says that he screwed Jay out of that because he loves Jay. 
It wasn't jealousy. I was afraid to lose you. If you were the tribal chief, what happens to the Usos? Would power make you like him, like Roman Reigns, make you misuse people and mistreat people? I didn't want you to be an asshole like him. Brian, is it a good enough reason that your twin brother would stab you in the back and physically attack you because he was afraid that you weren't going to be his partner anymore, that you were going to progress to be a big star on your own? And even though he's fighting for redemption for you, for the guy that hospitalized you, he's thinking about himself and the tag team situation and would rather fuck you out of getting ahead so that you would stay with him? Is that a, is that a good reason? Unfortunately, maybe the only good reason they have, but it's not a good reason. And if I'm Jey Uso, I'm saying, why didn't you call me on Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> why did I have to wait until today in front of everyone for you to say all this shit? I, I, I know, you know, it's, it's like when Austin stumped him, stumped, stomped a mud hole in people. I said, the kicks looked like shit, but it didn't matter because he's over. These explanations in the bloodline angle, if you just sit down and listen to them and overlook the performance and just listen to the root cause behind it, they're getting, they're, they're getting a little thin, but it's over. So the people don't care. It's getting really thin. And again, it's the same people and Heyman each and every week on this thing. And I said, coming out of SummerSlam, it feels like they may have jumped the shark. I heard from some other people who said the exact same thing and had the same thought at the same time. This didn't do anything to convince me otherwise yet. Well, I did write that I don't think the fans in the arena are necessarily buying the reason either. There, it was kind of like listening, but not really. Anyway. Jimmy finally offers his face for Jay to kick in. If that'll make you happy, right? <laughs> and Jay instead just turns his back on Jimmy. And so Jimmy hangs his head and leaves. And then Roman laughs at Jay and says, I told you so. You're stupid. You're a hothead. And he starts to tell Jay to acknowledge him. And that's when Jay super kicks Roman. And Solo jumps on Jay. And Roman's back up and has Superman punch to Jay and then runs into Jay's super kick and spear. And so now the heels have been routed and, and they just, Roman and Solo, roll out and completely disappear. And Jay tells Jimmy, come back. Come back, Shane. Jimmy Shane. And Jay jumps out on the floor and Jimmy turns around and Jimmy comes back to Jay with his arms stretched out for a hug, and Jay super kicks the shit out of him and then walks out of the arena through the assembled audience. And, and scene. I, I don't know. If they're still liking it, they're still liking it. But I'm, I'm starting to be confused now. Maybe this whole thing is just they, the family has had problems before we knew about their problems. And everybody's been waiting to just kick the fucking mush in of the other guy. Heyman was always good at having ideas. He was never good at having an ending for the ideas. We'll see what happens here. He, he, he never had a fucking good go-home spot, did he? No. 
It was always, it would go on and on and on until finally something else happened that made you forget about shit. And it would just kind of go somewhere else. Tommy Dreamer pile drive Beulah nonstop. And then she announced she's pregnant with his baby. And then she announced that she was a lesbian and she's no longer pregnant. It was just nothing made any sense, but it worked because it was the 90s and it was ECW. We'll see if they have anywhere to go with this. She could have come out with a turkey baster. She could have. She could have. See, that's a loophole. Well, there's a loophole, but the only part I really liked was when Roman said, and he got fired up, you're here to acknowledge me. That I liked. But the rest of this and the confusing explanation and why any of this is happening, it seems like they're running out of things to do until they get to wherever they're trying to go. Like, they're running out of week-to-week ideas, but we'll see. But coming out of SummerSlam, they had to do something better, I think, for me, and this wasn't it. Yeah, see, that's the thing, is the big shows are longer in between, but you, when you only have a few people that move the ratings or move the numbers, you've got to feature them as much as you can, and, and sometimes every week, what else are they going to say that needs to be said that hadn't already been said or done or whatever the case, and yeah, sometimes, but it's conf- when you're when you're having the twins fuck each other back and forth eh, i don't know we'll see what happens that's a movie you know I, what? that's a movie i once saw out of santa monica the twins fucking each other back and forth <laughs> these two girls whatever what were you gonna say uh the barbie twins remember them yeah they married uh what's his name from the wanderers uh ken wall both of them i think one of them but he was with both of them it was kind of like that was the deal. Well, fuck that guy. But nevertheless. He was fucking those girls. Yeah. Well, you know who needs a new job, a new line of work, needs to learn a trade, start a small business, something like that. Who's that? Jimmy Uso. Oh. I think he's I think he's gone and put himself in a in a bad place. He's he's figured out of the bloodline. He's not figured in with his brother anymore. Who knows what the fuck's gonna happen? I think he needs to open a small business because then he could be affiliated with our friends at Box of Awesome, Brian, because that's what the people at Box of Awesome do over at Bespoke Post. What they do is they curate carefully chosen merchandise, gear, and items from the best small brands and small businesses around the world and bring them to you on a mainstream platform. And it can be anything, anything that you're interested in, any genre or subgenre. We've talked, but they've got everything from knives to cooking supplies to barbecue rub to mint julep cups to do-it-yourself pizza kits to hot sauces. I think they actually have parachutes. I don't know if they have them all the time, but they drop one in every now and then. You know, I would usually shoot you down right about now, but Box of Awesome is so cool and they send you such cool stuff, they may have parachutes. Yes, you never know. You only know what you tell them, and that is what you do when you go to boxofawesome.com and you just take a little quiz to find out what you're interested in, what your tastes are, what your likes and dislikes are, and then every month a brand new box of awesomeness comes directly to your front door camping gear essentials cookout must-haves drinking game upgrades a variety of of things that can be used as personal defense weapons those knives are wicked looking but all these things are made by small businesses and folks just like you and me well maybe just like you that uh that have started up their businesses and now 
Our friends at Bespoke Post through BoxOfAwesome.com are bringing this to the consumer. And again, you can it's free to sign up. You can skip a month or cancel anytime you want to. And each box is valued at about $70 worth of items, but you only pay a mere fraction of that price. And you never, again, you never know what they might come up with. Stacy, still using the Weekender bag, that incredible canvas and leather travel bag that has the classic styling, and she uses it to carry her painting supplies around as she is a budding artiste. But you can multi-purpose a variety of these things. What you do right now, go to boxofawesome.com. Take the quiz. Help them pick the right boxes of awesomeness for you. And the new box comes once a month, and you open it up and put all this cool stuff in your house. And you can get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up right now at boxofawesome.com and enter the code JCE at checkout, boxofawesome.com. The code is JCE for 20% off your first box. Boxofawesome.com, code JCE. 20% off. Brian, I thought we heard from the other guy that those, those 20 20% deals were a thing of the past, but you got it right here with Box of Awesome. Box of Awesome takes care of the listeners. They certainly do. They take care of them. If you need a listener taken care of that's not what i mean way they do a good job no they make our listeners happy with their fine products or the fine product that they curate and send to us that's right they say look here at this fine product and while their attention is diverted (laughs) no that's not what i mean you'll never see that son of a bitch again you will see him again um and if you You don't it has nothing to do with box of awesome they sometimes send out parts of these people in different boxes of awesome, depending no. on what your likes and dislikes are. We were doing so well. We were so close to the end. There are no body parts in box of awesome. Only Did you see the news story of the guy and his son that picked up a hitchhiker? Oh, no. And no, picked up a hitchhiker. He was carrying a, a knapsack of some kind, and there was quite a smell coming from the, the the fellow, and they dropped him off. This was, I believe it was in rural Georgia. They dropped him off and then come to find out that one of the next towns over, this guy was wanted for murder. They were actively looking for him because he killed this guy and cut his head off and apparently had the head in the knapsack. So is, don't pick that, up... Isn't that a movie? I mean, you just... Is this a real news story? Or no, you're just that, talking no, about a movie were, you saw? No, this is a real thing I saw on the TV news. It was eight heads in the duffel bag. Yeah. But this was just one guy's head in a knapsack. knapsack. But the, the guy with eight heads in a duffel bag wasn't hitchhiking. But anyway. Is there a difference between a knapsack and a book bag or a backpack? Well, yeah, because if you if you got a knapsack, it, you're holding all your stuff you take naps in. Your pajamas, your sleeping cap, your sippy cup. Is it the same bag, though? Is it the same kind of thing? No, it's a different. You've got a sack for naps and a, and a sack for backs. So you're saying a knapsack is different than a backpack? A knapsack is much different than a backpack. A backpack could have school supplies and well, no, I'm not all kinds about, or heads. I'm not, no, well, forget about that. I'm not talking about what's in it in terms of the actual structure of the apparatus. I would think, no, a backpack would be different still than a knapsack. A knapsack doesn't have to be just limited to just being a backpack. A knapsack <laughs> could be carried on your back or around your neck or on a stick <laughs> over your shoulder. 
Well, so could a backpack. A knapsack on my back. See, you could have it on your back, but it doesn't need to be. Well, yeah, I guess you could wear a backpack on your front and cover up your dick, and that way if somebody kicked you in the balls, you'd have padding. I don't know why you went there, but beyond all of this, if you want to get something awesome, Box of Awesome from our friends at Bespoke Post. That's right. And if it smells, don't open it up because it's got somebody's head in it. No, it does not. There are no heads in any of the packages they send out. There will All be right. nothing well, smelling bad. Well, then make sure when you take the quiz, do not say that you enjoy collecting disembodied heads. Well, you could say That's that. That's all in the you got to do. You can say that in the quiz. But it doesn't mean that you're going to yeah. get a disembodied head sent to well, you. Well, no, because if you say that in the quiz, they'll know you're not a collector and they'll they'll send the heads to somebody else. So make sure you say that. Boxofawesome.com, code JCE. Box of Awesome! Well, Brian, what in the wide, wide world of sports is going on at the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network this fine week? Another fine week of programming on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at SuperPodcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. Of course, the wrestling news. Each and every day, get your free daily wrestling newscast. Every morning, find out all the news, none of the opinion. Find out what's really happening. News you can trust from the wrestling news. Get it at thewrestlingnews.com directly or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Look for Arcadian Vanguards, The Wrestling News, approaching one full year of 365 days of daily wrestling coverage. Check it out today. The Wrestling News. Also want to make mention of this week's episode of Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon at suawpod.com, available wherever you find your favorite shows. This week's guest, Mike Edison, formerly of Wrestling's Main Event Magazine, formerly of High Times Magazine, the author of several interesting and fun books. Hear this today, a fun conversation. Once again, suawpod.com or Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. How in the world did they, did he not name that podcast The Wisdom of Solomon? I don't know. That has not come up in any of our previous creative meetings over here at well, Last Well, and apparently you're not very creative. That's actually going to be his spinoff show, The Wisdom ah, of Solomon. We're saving it for last. Once again, shut up and wrestle with Brian Solomon, suawpod.com. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Hey, that's kind of puny. But there's yeah. no puny episodes in the canon of the Super Podcast. Go through the archive at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mothership. Yeah, there's no puny episodes in the can. That's where I listen to all those episodes of The Mothership, is in the can. Speaking of in the can or in the tank, another episode of Collision from AEW is in the can, as they say. This was. What was, what was the date of this? August 12th, the Saturday night, which is all right for fighting, according to our friend Reggie Dwight. You know, I figured out, Brian, how they named these programs. Think about this. Dynamite, as far as their television program, is the program is just completely chaos. Nothing makes any sense. Nothing followed up on. Dynamite, or Collision, rather, is the program where you know what's going on. It it makes sense. It might not be your taste, everything, but at least you understand what's happening. So when you go back to the root 
of each of those words. Brian, what is a collision? A collision is a sudden impact, right? Whereas dynamite causes an explosion. So every insurance adjuster will tell you, if you get in a collision, there you are. But if you get in an explosion, where are you? See, that's the difference. What's rampage? It, you know where you are on one. You don't have a fucking clue where you are on the other. That's true. So let's go to collision. Where we got the opening comments from the acclaimed and Christian Cage and Dino Douche and CMFTR. And then we got Elton John, and then we got the Greensboro Coliseum. And I'm thinking, boy, if you took, if you took about 500 people from the Greensboro Coliseum at a wrestling show in 1987 and set them down in front of this, I bet you they would have banded together and made whatever makeshift weapons they could and set the whole building on fire. If they were for their $8 ticket if they were presented with something like this. That's the same building we got Midnight Fantastics at Clash 1, right? Yeah, so why does it say you got Valentine and Wahoo, you got Piper and the other Valentine, you got Flair and fucking Race and Flair and Dusty and... I was tying it to you. Well, yes, but I'm just saying overall, it's a very hallowed hall. But what we got in the opening, and I'm not going to ride Collision too much because once again, here's the thing. Even if you don't like everything, there's no excessive furniture. There's no constant gymnastics. There's no ridiculous amounts of, you know, no disqualification, goofy stipulation matches that are dreamed up in teenagers' basements. The right people win most of the time. The right people lose. The matches make sense. Everybody's trying to be a serious professional wrestler of some description so i give them a bunch of points because they're trying and obviously we've got to find out if tony khan thinks he's booking this show then what is being done to it afterwards that he gets finished with it that makes it so much better than the program that we know he books on wednesday night and has been for four years that still has yet to make a lick bit of fucking sense he says yes to less bad ideas on saturday I'd, but he I says yes to all the bad ideas. I don't think that you can I don't think you can claim that you're writing a program. It's almost it's insulting to if he claims that he's writing Wednesday nights, then he looks like an idiot. If he claims he's writing Saturday nights, he that might not look like a genius, but he looks like he knows what he's doing. And I don't think both those things can be true at the same time. So Somehow they've managed to avoid Tony's influence on Saturday nights. Anyway, the influence that we got at the opening of the program was Ricky Starks in the ring. And now he's a full-fledged heel and he's milking it. He had Steamboat's belt that he whipped him with last week and did a full heel promo while he was shirtless with a yellow backpack vest. It looked like... <laughs> It looked like he went to take his second job as a first responder, but forgot to put all his clothes on. I don't know what was going on, but it's, that's a heel outfit. Yeah, but for someone whose whole thing is he's Mr. Stylish, I have to say that's one that I was like, is he a construction worker? What does this look here? Well, I, I think it was the uh, the village people version of a construction worker where there's no dirt on anybody and the, the colors are bright, but 
Shivani was good here too. Well, he announced that AEW has suspended Ricky Starks for 30 days from wrestling for whipping and injuring Ricky Steamboat. So there's actually repercussions for people's actions. Imagine that. But Starks being a heel got around it by saying, well, I went and got a manager's license and I'm going to be on TV every week. So that's interesting. Who will he be managing in the corner of with the manager's license? But it was, and then he started promoing punk and swore to set the whole company on fire because this is war. So it was one of Starks' best promos. It, I mean... What is war, though? What is he upset about? Well, he's upset that he had to wait this long to, to be able to be switched heel and featured on a good <laughs> television program. That's the only problem with this. It was all great, but what is he actually... I'll burn this place down. Why? What's the problem? <laughs> Well, maybe he found out they want to give him stock for his guarantee of his contract instead of, <laughs> but it was one of his best promos. And that's the thing. I wasn't sure about starting the show out with Ricky Starks live in the ring for a promo for 10 minutes. Cause there is the perception of relative star power, whatever, but you got to break a few eggs to make some lemonade and to get your talent that you're featuring out there in prominent positions. Sometimes you're going to have to do that. So he carried it. He did a good job of it. So that's that's fine with me. I don't know what you think besides the questionable fashion sense. I mean, but again, he's a heel and he's acting obnoxious, so it kind of works. But it still was like, what the fuck is he wearing? <laughs> Starks was great here. Starks is great here. He got over as a baby face, but he's best as a heel. And it comes out in a segment like this. He was fired up. This is a guy, he may rehearse what he says, I don't know. But whenever he delivers it, He's fired up and you believe him. Yeah. And he's really good at that. Shivani's good in this role. And I liked him here. The manager's license thing. How do you take that? Do you take that as he's injured and we want to keep him on TV? Or we need to find a way to do something to establish rules. But we also want this guy on the show. What well, do you think now, of that? And then what do you do with it? We haven't heard that he's injured, have we? We haven't. I'm just trying to guess out loud. No, I think this is because here's the thing. This is something different. It hadn't been done lately. The manager's license hadn't been done since the territory days, practically. And do you have him continue to come out and just, he's already beaten CM Punk. So I don't think he needs a win over a job guy every week. See, that's my thing. What's he upset about? Well... He's again, he can have time to flesh that out. And also, you know, everybody's upset that they haven't been treated as well as they think they should, even if they've been pampered or whatever. But the point is with the manager's license thing, instead of being booked in a match or doing a run in or whatever, we can do something different. If he's in the corner of someone, whoever they are, they may be insignificant but it's because he wants to be there at ringside because Punk is involved or somebody else that he's going to be involved with is involved and he can be close enough to snipe at him or whatever. It's It just opens up different ways to do things. He's still going to be on TV. He can still talk. He can still get physical, but he's just not going to be booked to wrestle. And there, there's consequences to the actions that he undertook but he being a heel is trying to get around and find a loophole. That's more interesting than just here's a goddamn gas house death match or whatever. So an effective way to get more heat, you think? Yeah, that's obviously what they're trying to do. We'll see if it works. What do you have him? Who do you have him manage? Do you have him manage comparable wrestlers or just go there with anyone every single week to 
get involved in stuff. Well, see, that's, I mean, you can do it. You can say, hey, look, Ricky Starks has signed up little Johnny Dumbfuck. Because Stark says, I can teach this guy enough in 10 minutes to make him a star. And then he does a job to whoever fucking Starks is mad at, but then Starks jumps that guy. Or maybe it's a different person every week, whoever's going to be involved with wrestling against somebody that he needs to be interjected in with. Or, I mean, there's different ways you can do it. It could be a long-term thing where he gets a new tag team partner or a new cohort. Tully and Arn weren't always in tag team matches, but they were always friends. That type of thing. Yeah, it, there's a million different things you can do, so I don't know what they're going to do yet, but it's something different at least. I don't think it'll be this, but I'm just going to say this. It really does suck considering how things played out and how it wasn't worth it that they ever broke him and Hobbs up. Yeah, you know, you're right there. Because Starks and Hobbs, Starks could be the guy talking a little bit more for Hobbs, and Hobbs could be the power guy instead of QT that just nobody's interested in, and just, they turn it off. But nevertheless, we shall see about new manager Starks, but they followed that with a package on FTR and the Bucks and their big match coming up, and we've already prognosticated and predicted what we think is going to happen based on the buckaroos and their overinflated egos for very little reason and their general smarminess can you imagine the heat ftr's about to lose to the young bucks the young bucks whole family their dad their mom their kids everyone's at ringside punk runs in there and hits him with a fucking chair throws the chair across the, the ring hits him in the eye costs him yeah, the belts punches the other one and knocks him out costs him the belts and then we have six-man tag team matches that would be the biggest thing that, in terms of a ticket-selling match that AEW could put on for, I would think, now or the foreseeable future, and it won't happen because we're dealing with children. A close-up of the crying Bucks kids. I mean, it would be amazing. <laughs> Punk and FTR run out of there as fast as they can because they know Are it's a problem. If, if, if you were the kid of one of those two, wouldn't you cheer and jump up and down if somebody hit Daddy over the head with a chair? Well, you got to get back home. You have to wonder how you're going to get home. You got to be careful what you're going to be filmed doing and supporting. So the kids can't say their true emotions out loud is what you're saying. Kayfabe. Well, speaking of kayfabe, the acclaimed next made their entrance and Caster did a rap. And one of the lines was, we're going to leave you lost for words like Mitch McConnell, which we've covered earlier in the program, but I like that. Um, and it was Does that line get over usually in the Carolinas? Um, in front of that crowd, yes. Maybe not at a NASCAR race or whatever, but in front of that crowd, I would think yes. Because it's younger people. I mean, there still are some demented people under 45 that think for some reason the Republicans give a shit about them, but most people have smartened up at that point, the younger folks. The problem is the acclaimed were wrestling the team now known as Iron Savages. They went from bear country to Iron Savages. They still have bear names, though. It's still Bear Bronson and Bear um, Minimum. I forget what bear, the other one's Minimum, name is. Bear, bear <laughs> Ass. I'm not, but but their team, they're, they're the Iron Savages. Have you ever seen a bear made out of iron? Uh, no. I've seen balls on a brass monkey. What? You've never heard that? No. Freeze the balls off a brass monkey? No, that's one of those expressions we didn't use growing up. Mama Cornette, you say that. <laughs> it's cold enough outside to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. Brass monkey? Yeah. That funky monkey? Of getting funky like that brass monkey, baby. But the bears aren't funky. 
Because the Bears, at, at some point, I guess it's a move of theirs, one of the Bears put the other Bear on his shoulders like a chicken fight ride, and Caster just hit a springboard dropkick on him, knocked them both over, and then brought their, they had a weird manager with them, and he brought him in and gave him a nut shot. <laughs> I didn't even notice the manager until that part of the match. Yeah, I didn't know he was there, and they jerked some guy in. I'm like, is that a fan? No, it's their manager. And he was dressed in an un, unorthodox manner. And then they scissored, and then they did the double famassers on both of the Bears and beat them one, two, three. So we still don't know whether the Pope shits in the woods, but we do know that the Bears now are not Catholic or something to answer to the, one of those questions. I don't know what you just said, but uh, you know, I wanted to see where they were going with the whole pool thing. You know, where you got the guy on the shoulders and you're going to go do something, I guess like a big bear. <laughs> And whatever they do, that's... Have you ever seen the bears do a shoulder ride? Yeah, well, all the time. Well, I guess they're supposed to look like one big bear, not like two bears <laughs> giving each other a ride. I think the whole impression is we're a giant bear. Ah! But they didn't even get there. They got kicked. <laughs> whatever the fuck. But they whatever it is... There. They were left bare. It sounded like on commentary, whatever it is, is something that they have established on Ring of Honor TV or somewhere. So we would know what that was. But I was thinking, oh, this is cool. What are they going to do? And then that just went away. That was the best part of yeah. the match. <sighs> but they did a promo in the ring. Yo, 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 yo. And the, well, he said yo four times. And then listen, I would have listened after the first yo. But they had Billy Gunn's boots. And this Wednesday night, they're going to wrestle again. So apparently they're cool with everybody. The Saturday night group and the Wednesday night group, the acclaimed, can move around freely. They have no heat or ill will with anyone. And they're going to have the spirit of Billy Gunn with them on Wednesday, just like they got his boots. And then Bowens had all the fans scissor for Billy at, watching at home. So they, The spirit of Billy Gunn. I thought they were trying to move them past Billy for their own good and get the fucking scissor thing in the past because it was just, that's all the people gave a shit about and it was distracting from them. But now they're keeping Billy alive and the spirit of Billy and they got Billy's boots. So is, is Billy going to come back? They still don't have it. It's, it's good. They got a win, but they don't have anything to talk about and they don't have any rivalry or any important goal to, promote to the people that they want to achieve. They're just, they come out, they rap, they say cute things, and they fucking go. You know, they were getting over before the Billy Gunn thing. Billy Gunn got added to them, and it added to the whole overall thing. But after a while, it kind of held them back. And now we're seeing that a little bit. Here's a week without Billy Gunn. And until they referenced him in the promo, it was just the acclaim doing an acclaim match. It feels like they lost a step. It feels like something should have been done a little sooner. And they've waited a little while, and then they go back to the whole Billy Gunn thing. They want the, whatever, the spirit of Billy Gunn. If I was them, I'd want the anabolics of Billy Gunn, to be quite honest. <laughs> but we'll see where they go. I mean, at least, I mean, they're bringing it to Dynamite. Maybe it'll stay there. I, I don't know what to think of this. Well, right after that, in the back was Gin and Juice with the guns, the gun boys. And just a little small backstage interview but juice once again i wish they'd just give him an interview i want to hear him talk a little longer but he's got the face he's got the look he's got the voice and he can work and he and jay has more personality around him around juice so jay by himself was 
if he was a fucking piece of fried chicken, he'd be so dry you'd have to eat him in the rain. But with juice, there's some more, and then they can play off each other. Does, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I have been a fan of Juice Robinson since he got in there, and I think Jay White's good. I think they put them with the guns, and it helps the guns. It doesn't help Juice and Jay. It hasn't so far. They were getting over on their own. They were in the first main event of this program. They were in those big matches with FTR, which are critically acclaimed. And now they're kind of just with the guns. We'll see where this goes, but I wish they would do something on their own. Either get them back with FTR or have them Jay and Juice as singles guys and they're just in each other's corner, but nothing else I, I, I like them as a tag team. The gun boys are fine if they clearly delineate that these two are the up-and-coming guys and that we're supposed to take Jen and Juice as the main event. I like them as a heel tag team against anybody, but... We can't get the rubber match with FTR or any major meaningful match because FTR have to go over and do a job in front of a big crowd for the fucking Cucamonga kids so they can brag to their wives and many cousins how great they are. And then we had a history package of Adam Cole and MJF. And did you notice that when they do the packages to promote the match in Wembley, to pr promote the ongoing issue. It's, it's comments from what's happened. It's clips from matches. It's a highlight put together without the silliness. It's focused on the issue between the two of them. Who can you trust? Are they really friends? This is what's gone on and make people speculate what might happen. But we didn't see dodgeball with the six-year-olds in the package. They know... At least some of the editors know what needs to be the meat of the matter. So if, if they could do it just a little straighter, I'd, even, I'd be a bigger fan than I am. But then we get to the girls' tag team match. Brian, Diamante is back. And she, she looks like she's a stocky little girl, and she could take care of herself, except that she's got to be four foot ten. Did did her head clear the top rope? You know what? I hate to say this. I didn't even recognize her as being... I didn't realize she was that small watching it. It didn't stand out. So until you just said it, I didn't even realize it. Well, we had Willow Nightingale and Chris Statlander. Willow is heavier than the other girls. Statlander is taller than the other girls. Mercedes seems to be about average sized. And Diamante was between a foot shorter than Statlander and six inches shorter than everybody else. It looked like to me. But nevertheless, they set this up with an angle last week. So it actually has a reason to take place. And if I, again, I don't I, we like Statlander. Mercedes has been around for quite a while. Pretty decent hand. You've been a fan of Willow. I didn't particularly want to see a girls tag team match here. But this there was, was a reason for it to happen. And it, it made sense. And they didn't do anything with furniture or spend 10 minutes on the floor or whatever. Although, did you see when Mercedes <laughs> picked Diamante up for the razor's edge and just flung her over the top rope and she went head first. They, they broke her fall enough that it didn't break her skull, but she was heading to the floor head first before those other girls got in the way. That yeah. was interesting to me. I saw that. 
I'm not sure you need that for a cold tag team match. But otherwise, Diamante pinned, or no, Mercedes pinned Willow when Diamante stuck her feet in and used leverage. So that was a heelish thing to do. But again, you had a finish where there was no furniture, no 18 goddamn Yakazama bombs. It was a simple wrestling finish, a heel fuck, and a win. You know what? I like the match. I gave it a chance because I'm a fan of Willow's and I'm a fan of Statlander's. And I think Willow's really good. I got to be honest with you. And Mercedes is always good. I'm not terribly familiar with Diamante uh, beyond. I know I've watched her in the past, but I don't remember too much. It was a good match and they surprised me with the finish. So now I want to see where they're going to go. But good match. And then I will give uh, plenty of um, props, as the kids say to the women's division in the for Tony Storm and her interview in the back. I told you, she's great on promos. And this time, she wasn't going crazy like last week, but she's depressed about losing the title. And she has the haughty British accent and was arguing with Lexi Nair. And her promos are not only more natural, but they're different than the other girls. Natural in terms of you think she's might be coming up with a lot of this off the top of her head and different in that she's saying different shit and taking a different tone. And she really did a good job with this. I, and I like the, the haughty upper crust accent. That was a pretty good daggum British accent, wasn't it? Sebastian Cabot would be jealous. That was a very good British woman uh, voice that you did there. Yes, it was. I think she's great. And every time we see her do these promos, she's great. And it makes it stand out how this version of her is great. Not the, you know, I'm in this group. We're spray painting shit for no reason. Like, we're bad. We're tough. Like, whatever the fuck that is, that's garbage. This arrogant, pompous Tony Storm as a single, and she can work. Yeah. This right here is what they should be pushing. And she should be one of the champions. I know she just lost the belt. She's so good. And get her away from Saray and Ruby Soho. I'm sorry. Yeah. I and they mean, weren't here. Every time she, she keeps doing these singles promos, and all they do is point out how much better she is than the other two, and that she shouldn't be with them. But how much money do you think they spent on Soraya? Boy, is, are they going to give her the belt in Wembley? Certainly. To, well, you might think that they would want the big hometown. If she's going to get a pop, it'd be there. But then she'd have to have the belt. What are you going to do then? Beat her next week? Otherwise, she's got the fucking belt. You got a rotten women's title match ever. Well, they've had that before. Okay, moving on. Um, Samoa Joe versus the already-in-the-ring Andrew Everett. And again, they're doing the right thing with Joe. Quick win, dominant, convincing, great heel promo. He's got that face. He makes it sound like he means it. And he told Punk that he asked him for a fight. And he didn't get an answer. And now I guess I'm going to have to convince you or whatever the fuck he said. He's basically going to have to convince Punk that they need to have another fight. And yes, he said that last week and I knew what the fuck was going to happen. And he said that tonight here and I knew what was going to happen later. And when it happened, I was glad it happened because that's what made sense to happen. So... They telegraphed something and then they didn't swerve us. They actually did what makes sense, what made sense to do based on what they had done before. 
kudos there. Is Christian Cage the Punk is now doing a combination babyface and heel promo, depending on who he's talking about and what the venue is. And MJF is now pandering to the people as a hopefully cheesy, insincere babyface that will later on show his true colors. But is there a, be a better heel promo in AEW than Christian Cage? I mean, he's really good, but he also gets a little schlocky. MJF's a better heel promo than Christian Cage. Well, I mean, he not normally, but not now, because now he said, I love you. You're all the devil worshipers. I'm talking about right now. Last week, he was out there with the kid on the pre-tape and telling security to kick his daughter out. And we were like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He gets schlocky at times. Well, but not at this time. That's what I'm saying. Is there a better way? Is there a better, you know, fucking football player than goddamn so-and-so? But if he's drunk or if he's hurt, yes, there is. But normally. If he's on his game, if Christian is on his game and he's being serious and he's got something to do, he looks great. He has a great attitude. He's got a great delivery. He's well-spoken. He's using the belt as heat. The dinosaur just stands there, which is the perfect use for him. And he knocked the North Carolina and the fans and Darby and blah, blah, blah. I really like that when they let him go out and be Christian, the obnoxious prick so i liked the promo and he didn't get schlocky but then suddenly and i know again why they did it but arn anderson came out with his son brock and arn got a great response and he talked about the horsemen and talked about the carolinas and greensboro and the people there obviously are wanting to see something like this, but then he sends Brock into the ring to fight the dinosaur for the, what is, that's the TNT title, right? There's yeah. so many, I keep forgetting. <sighs> Brock's not ready. Everybody has to start somewhere, but I don't know if national TV is the place for it. Age may be a factor. He started late. The physique may be a factor. He has the the Lundy jeans, but Arn was both bigger, thicker, and badder when both on the streets of Rome, Georgia, and when he first got in the wrestling business, then the aura that Brock gives off appears to make him. Would you concur with that statement? Yeah, and look, I'm not saying Brock Anderson couldn't kick some ass in a bar fight or something, but he does not look as impressive as Arn Anderson looked, he does not look that impressive. That's a good way of saying that. So, to no surprise, Dino won. But then suddenly Darby hits the ring, and they get in a fight, and he, instead of grabbing his skateboard and just, because a skateboard is a heavy thing, instead of just grabbing it and hitting the dinosaur over the head, he gets up on the top rope while the dinosaur is bent over waiting and jumps off and puts the skateboard under his feet and skateboards off the dinosaur's back. And then the dinosaur sells it. Uh, isn't that... Uh, that's kind of counterproductive. You have a blunt instrument in your hands and you're going to do a trick to knock down this fucking guy that's 150 pounds bigger and, and a foot and a half taller than you are? 
if there's anyone in that company that's going to do something stupid and that's a stunt, it's Darby Allen. And uh, they've established that he does this, so people kind of expect it when he has the skateboard out there that it could happen. And, you know, you kind of hope a clip like that goes viral, I guess. Uh, I'm not going to complain too much about that. Well, he then, Darby, meaning him, cut another good promo where he was kind of fired up, and I'm like, what's gotten into him? He asked Dino, he said, you're like a dinosaur, right? You're 65 million years old. Well, in 65 million years, have you ever had a skateboard up your ass? He's found some personality and some pizzazz to his promos suddenly. I'm happy for him. Oh, boy. But then speaking of pizzazz on promos, Arg, the powerhouse hops. He speaks well. He's not totally confident being out there doing live in-ring promos. He, he, his eyes look around, dart around a bit. Again, I'm thinking they've had four years now. Can you imagine if he had had half of the, the push, as the kids say, or just half of the momentum put behind him as Jane Cargill or our little dog Pockets, He'd already be practiced at promos, and he'd already have a great track record behind him and major matches behind him. And instead, he's out there by himself now. He went back home and got the book of Hobbes because he didn't want or need help from anybody else. And the next chapter he's going to write is titled Redemption. And... How do I redeem myself after losing the title, after losing the Owen Hart tournament? So he goes down about all the fucking things that he's lost and been beaten lately. How do I redeem myself? I need to call out the Redeemer. Miro, come on out. Well, now he didn't say he wanted to fight him, right? He just said he needed to call him out. But when Miro comes out, Solo and Comorato, without a go-go, jump Miro and beat him up and roll him in the ring, but Miro comes back on the Stooges, Solo and Comorato, and dispatches them, and then Hobbs hits a spine buster on Miro and puts his book on Miro's chest. So is this, is Hobbs the right kind of heel that it is the right psychology where he says he doesn't need any help or want any help, and then in the same segment he accepts help, or is Hobbs the kind of guy that should be palling around with fucking Solo and Comorado, much less QT to begin with, or should he be out there on his own? This was a wonderful combination of two of the worst things about Powerhouse Hobbs, which are the QT faction, and that old Book of Hobbes gimmick that everyone had forgotten about because it wasn't good. And they brought those both together to challenge Miro and drag him into this fucking abyss of QT and Solo and whoever the blonde woman was. The idea of Hobbes and Miro was intriguing. And then they threw in, you know, all the people that are like the D-list of the version of the D-list Jarrett crew. You know, it's just awful. And uh, there's always another letter down you can go. When you think you're on the B team, you might really be on the C squad. When you think you're on the C team, you might really be on the D list. 
the booking of Hobbs has been awful for a while. Why double down on any of this? That's why I'm thinking the the whoever the brains are that are, are in charge of the majority of this program and the flavor of it obviously realize that QT is an anchor around his neck and these other people are death with him. But um, we've heard that Tony... QT's an anchor around Hobbs' neck or the booker Q, of the show's no, neck? No, QT is an anchor around Hobbs' neck. <laughs> okay. Many of the... Many of the people are, well, I'm about to say many of the people around QT are anchors around everybody's neck, but the owner of the company, I guess, thinks QT is cute like he likes to dress up like pockets on Halloween, and he puts him in the creative meetings, so somehow, just because even, even if you get something out of QT in the creative meetings, that doesn't mean he's an on-camera personality. The guy that you know, that does brain surgery on people may not be able to play center fielder for the fucking Yankees. That doesn't mean he has goddamn no talent. Anyway, are you ready for the main event? Yeah. Well, Jim Ross joined again, so apparently that's going to be the the recurring thing every week, and that's the perfect way to do it. Bring JR out and let him do the main event with the stars you want people to pay attention to and notice, and you get his his credibility and his name value there without sticking him out there for two hours where he's fucking wore out and or bored to tears by the time the thing's over with. And then we did the House of Black entrance and the FTR entrance, and then like Mussolini! With barbecue, because you know they're in North Carolina, right? That honey gold barbecue in North Carolina. And Punk is able to come out. That's trailed off. Well, I'm t- it's good. It's good stuff. Have you ever had the Carolina honey gold? You were doing it in tune. You were trying to carry a tune, and all of a sudden you just left it. Well, I was tired of carrying it. All right. Fuck, it, it needs to do its own work. I can't carry everybody. I'm already lugging you around. Hey. Punk is able to milk the cheers and the booze at the same time by doing the same thing, and it gets a completely opposite response from whoever the intended target is. I'm loving that. But for the six-man tag team title, otherwise known to the children as the Trios Championship, it was CMFTR against the, the former House of Black. Because now that they're not teleporting and uh, committing all of the spookiness of the mind games where they used to stop the match down to sit down and talk to everybody or whatever, they're wrestling. They look like three big, hairy, greasy, tattooed up fucking guys that's in a wrestling team. I can buy that. I think calling them CMFTR is so stupid. I hate that they do that. Well, they got to do all of the combined. Why? CM Punk and FTR is too long? Jungle Hook, you remember that? Yeah, every team does a stupid combination. In this sense, it makes no sense because it's just initials. CMFTR. It's so dumb. See you next Tuesday. Yeah. We talked about him earlier in the podcast one segment. Yes, we did. Uh, I will say, though, that Brody King still looks like Kamala if his gimmick had been an African panda bear instead of an African savage. What the... Why? I don't... (laughs) He looks big and broad and tattooed up and everything, but then he's he's the the panda face. I'm not sure. (laughs) Odd choice of the decoration. 
but he he's working like a big man now and Dax and the other guys they would have to outmaneuver him and double team him to take over and they the announcers were putting over his size and power at least they're making something legitimate out of some of these guys instead of sock face screaming about how many times they've been to the Tokyo airport um 17 times 17 but anyway, they went the first segment. They did some nice wrestling, some spots. They put the big guy over. Then finally they milked Malachi Black and Punk having a face-off and doing a back and forth and going to a stalemate. And then both of them sat down in the middle of the ring and stared at each other for a second. But that Punk is known for this cross-legged pipe bomb, and I guess Malachi Black sits a lot. So that got a pop, and then all six squared off and got a big six-way to go to the break. And when they came back now, that they had a half an hour when this match started, when the entrances commenced. And in the WWE, you're attuned to realize that that means, especially on Raw, if the main event entrances start a half an hour before the end of the program, chances are the main event will be 10 minutes. But in this case, they're starting to establish with Collision, and it's been working they either keep their audience or increase their audience, that the main event's going to be the long match that's good with the top guys in it that doesn't insult your intelligence. And, you know, everybody's trying to be serious. And that's what they did again here. They broke it up into like the final three segments. And they would get, like when they came back from the first break, they got heat on Dax. And then Dax gave the hot tag to Punk and he made a big comeback. And he had leveled Buddy. But when he went to the top rope, Julia came up on the apron almost too quickly. You don't need to be that fucking fast, Julia. You can wait because you're only going to hop up on the apron. He's got to climb to the top rope. So wait till his fucking right foot's on the second buckle before you feel like you need to hop up. And when she did that and drew the referee, Malachi crotched Punk on the top rope and they started heat on him. We went to the break again with Punk in jeopardy. And when we came back then, that's when Punk is selling big for the House of Black. And again, a main event wrestling match with stars, with time on the air, serious, no furniture, no flips, no gymnastics, I'm trying to do business here. And out of nowhere, Punk hits the, the go-to-sleep on Buddy, but Buddy rolls to the floor so Punk can't capitalize. But he does hit the tag to cash, and that's where the heels really let him down. Because if Buddy'd rolled out to the floor, the other one of the other heels went down to help Buddy, and Malachi, I believe, was just standing there in the corner, and they watched Punk tag Cash. No heel ever tried to stop him. Without you trying to impede the babyface's forward progress in any visual way, the pop that babyface is going to get from the tag is only going to be so far, depending on how big the star is that gets tagged anyway. Cash made a big comeback and hit the Buzz Sawyer power slam again. And then, I swear to the only one dive, but Ca Cash hit a dive. I think there's another one coming up later, but Cash hit a dive. I think it's the first one we've seen in the program. But then he hit that bulldog off the top on Brody King for a two count, and that wasn't bad because it wasn't the Steiner shoulder bulldog thing. And then, boom, um, they did the superplex 
double superplex on Brody King, and Punk came off the top with an elbow for a two count. That got a big pop. Then all three of them hit the shatter machine on the big guy, and then everybody in turn hit a big move on everybody else, and they all sold. And then this was perfect, because now they've done everything they can do. They've got them up as far as they can. Punk did the dive then on Malachi Black and bounced off of him, and he's come to rest at the barricade in front of the fans. Dax hit a diving headbutt on Brody King, got a two-count. But right then, and the camera missed it the first time, or not the first time, the camera missed it at first when it happened live, but that may have been the plan because it was better because as Punk was leaning against the rail, Samoa Joe came from behind suddenly and grabbed him from the back in a rear naked choke and drew him over the barricade rail and choked him out. And they went to that shot as Joe was already on him, but then they went back to the ring because at that point Brody had lariated or hit with a lariat, Cash, and got the one, two, three, and then they go back to the shot of Joe leaving Punk laying there. And you got the point. The House of Black retained the, the belts. Joe screwed Punk over and his team over by doing that and is trying to force him to fight. And Cash got beat because the odds were suddenly against them with the removal of a member of their team. So nobody looked bad and everything made sense. So again, we had a nice, it wasn't as great as gin and juice for an hour, but we had a nice wrestling match with top talent for the main event of the program. Instead of Hikaru Shida against Julia or whoever. Anna Jay, don't put down Anna Jay. Anna Julia. Anna Jay. Genitalia. They wish they had Julia. Julia is actually good. I thought um, you were going to say they wish they had genitalia. I will say that I thought this was another great main event. I mean, look, no surprise. FTR right now are having a year. I would actually argue, look, the Briscoe matches were great, but they were different. I think they're actually having a better year this year in a lot of ways than they did last year. They just look so good in the ring right yeah. now. Well, and also because they're getting a chance to do it this year on a program that has some level of production, whereas they were exiled last year to the Briscoes, to the Ring of Honor shows, and a small building, small crowd, and blah production, whereas with Gin and Juice, you could see that looked every bit as good as anything the WWE does from a production standpoint, but the wrestling was better. And them and CM Punk together, you know, I'm kind of sick of these six-man matches, but with them at least, they give them enough time, and there's enough weird energy in the room, and they've had good opponents for these matches, that they work out well. This is the best House of Black trios match I've seen yet. I thought Buddy looked really good. Malachi Black looks really skinny to me. Tell me what you think. He's, next he's time lost some weight from the time he first came in, hasn't he? It stood out to me, and it's the first time I thought it, so I'm saying it to you after the first time I thought it after seeing it, but he seemed rather skinny to me. But it was the best match I've seen them in. Go somewhere with the Joe Punk thing. Joe's gotten a few squash match wins. Well, we're headed, we're headed to Wembley. You can see that coming a mile away. You can see Wembley coming a mile away or that match coming a mile away? Well, I've, if Wembley's coming at you from a mile away, then you better watch out because there was a big explosion. But you can see that match for Wembley. That's, you know, I think that's going to be done. 
you know, a lot of the story for Collision came from what happened after Collision, and then I guess in the last couple of days, stories have come out about other things related to it, but as you said recently on the show, it's typical in AEW and WWE, at the end of the show, the biggest stars in the room or the biggest people in the last match get on the mic and talk to the room a little bit. And thank everybody and tell them how much they mean to them and all that stuff and everything. This is a new phenomenon recent with modern wrestling. They used to do it in Ring of Honor. They want to be fan-friendly, right? <laughs> in this case, Punk and FTR did an after-match promo. And I would say FTR was friendly to everybody in North Carolina because they're from North Carolina. At least Dax is. I don't know about Cash originally. But Punk wasn't friendly to everybody because apparently somebody had a a hangman page sign and or was, you know, shouting out the praises of hangman page and it caught Punk's eye and ear and he responded. I don't know. Do we have audio or do we have quotes? Uh, I could find some audio. Various people filmed that the uh, quality is uh, different everywhere. Let me get this pulled but, up. But basically, the while you're doing that, but the the gist of the thing was that he he understood now the guy had the page sign or whatever, hangman sign. He said, I understand now why hangman is called hangman because that's what his action figures do in the toy store is hang on that peg unpurchased, which I thought was kind of hilarious because then somebody on Twitter this morning sent out a picture of a toy selection in one of the major retail stores i think everybody can figure who i'm talking about and all the figures that are hanging there are all hangman adam page everything else is gone it's all page <laughs> what the fuck do you have uh any exact verbiage there now well jim every example of the audio here kind of sucks i would need more time but i have the quote here i have the actual direct quote according to what was said what was said carolina is hangman country referencing a sign in the crowd Earlier today, I went to a local supermarket, and I figured out why they call him Hangman. It's because the pegs in the toy aisle are full of Hangman action figures, because <laughs> nobody wants to buy them. He's a peg warmer, unlike me, who moves merchandise, pops ratings, and sells toys. <laughs> <laughs> a peg warmer. And again, all the people who like him go, yeah, you do. And all the people who don't like him go, boo, fuck you. And he likes both. But like you said, that we saw that picture this morning of some Target or Walmart or whatever it was and just nonstop Adam Page figures. Everything Not else is Not everywhere. Gone. Yeah. There's crumbs everywhere else. And his, his aisle is completely stocked. Well, Jim, coming out of this story, it came out. It was reported by Dave Meltzer and others that... Adam Page was turned away from the building <laughs> that he showed up to shoot promos backstage and was told that he would have to do it elsewhere. And then came out that other names that have been either this past week or previously asked to leave collision or not invited to collision include Christopher Daniels, who I think is head of talent relations, Matt Hardy and Ryan Nemeth, a name that surprised some people all of course have whatever you want to say, friendships with the Young Bucks and may be considered by some people who were not friends with the Young Bucks to be stooges for the Young Bucks. Are you now or have you ever been a member of the Superkick Party? And I... <laughs> I won't say we, names. 
We don't know about Ryan Nemeth. He, he never well, no, gets on television. Apparently, what? he's been a regular in the Being the Elite videos. I okay, mean, well, really I was going to say, we wouldn't know what the beef was with Ryan Nemeth because he's never on television. He's Dolph's younger brother. Oh, wait, actually, I have something um, right here. Uh, the issues may stem from when Punk did his return promo, Ryan Nemeth tweeted out, literally the softest man alive. Ah! Well, apparently now he's literally the most unemployed man alive, at least on Saturday nights, is Ryan oh, Nemeth. And here's more from Dave Meltzer. Punk confronted Nick Nemeth, or Nick Nemeth, Ryan Nemeth on June 17th in Chicago, his first night back. Something happened. I was told it was all settled. It wasn't a big deal. Obviously, it wasn't all settled. <laughs> th what is, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. You got tit for tat. Matt Hardy he was got, booked Saturday, told not to come, uh, and Christopher Daniels is not supposed to go on Saturdays anymore. <laughs> yeah, the head of talent relations is told to stay away on Saturdays. Well, it's because of the relations he has with some of the talent. That's why he has I like job. Christopher Daniels. He was a great worker and a nice guy, but he busted in the locker room with the rest of them. And luckily, nobody fucking punched him in the face, but... I can see where that uh, one would think, well, this guy's obviously not on my side since he came in with the group that started this whole mess. So here's the thing. What have we been hearing for months since last September? It's been almost a year now. Punk is not allowed to be around the buckaroos and their friends. Punk has been told by attorneys, don't try to contact Kenny anymore and settle these things. Punk has been told that he's persona non grata in these various situations. So in return, he said, okay, well, I'm the guy over here on Saturday nights and you can't come and play in my sandbox if I can't come over and hang out in your backyard. So fuck you. You know, just put yourself in the position of CM Punk here. You have a bunch of people that have constantly fucked with you, either overtly or in a passive aggressive manner. They continue to fuck with you, continue to put you down. The company's not doing the biggest money thing they have on the table because of all this. Hangman Page can come to the building and be in the back. Matt Hardy? Can come, why? Because he's in the Carolinas? He can come to the building and be in the back? If you think someone's going to be a problem and you're trying to create a good atmosphere there where none of these drama hounds are around, why would you want any of these people in your building? Exactly. And why, if you've been told, well, you can't come over here and play with our friends... And why are you going to let their friends come over and play with you? The answer is because on Saturday night, they're not playing. They're trying to do a television wrestling broadcast instead of a friend's social club. The yeah. problem is, is that Saturday has gotten short shrift on the talent because the only, there are more aggressive parkour artists and cosplaying gymnastics experts on the roster then there are actually serious, accomplished, competent, professional wrestlers. So there's more names on Wednesday night. But the Saturday night television program is better because it's all people who actually understand what kind of fucking business they're in. Well, there's some reporting here before we wrap things up. Nick Houseman, who previously has been all over this punk stuff, previously was pointed out by punk in that press conference famously. He's saying that Nemeth and Daniels being sent home was a direct result of conflicts with Punk. Notably, 
Christopher Daniels' involvement in the post-AEW all-out altercation was specifically portrayed to us as the reason the Fallen Angel is not at collision, since Ace Steel, Punk's good friend, was also involved in the altercation, but not allowed to return backstage for collision. Yeah, even though he was told ahead of time that when he got his job back, he was going to be involved with the show and that he was going to be Punk's agent on the scene, he's being paid and working remotely at last report that we heard because they're still all upset at him because he beat up two of them by himself. But if none of them are in the building, what's the problem? And again, to finish this sentence out There here, is no problem. Ace Steel has never been dangerous in any way to anybody in 30 years in wrestling until somebody was trying to beat up a friend of his and then he fucking kicked some ass. Well, don't forget his wife was and, in the room too. Well, yeah, and his, and his wife was sitting there with a fucking cast on her leg and he beats up some people who can't fight to begin with and they get mad and because the various legal staff at that company are all under the sway or under something of the <laughs> talent, uh, they make up reasons why Ace is not able to be there because everybody's scared of him. Punk is said to feel the same about Daniels and does not want him backstage either. <laughs> well, there you go. Seriously, if you're trying to create a drama-free locker room, and so far, Collision has been. I mean, very few people have crossed over. MJF, obviously, is the world champion and that Adam Page thing or Adam Cole thing with him and uh, FTR was a big thing on the show. But you're not hearing too much drama. You're still hearing plenty come out of that other locker room. You're not hearing much come out of here. Why would you want to introduce these, dare I say, cancers into your locker room? You want Matt Hardy back there? This guy, he almost brags about being a stooge for the Young Bucks. Well, and all he was doing was delivering a truckload of flowers for the Buckaroos from Big Mama's Flower Shop. Right down the road in Charlotte. And with this Ryan Nemeth thing, you know, at a certain point, there have to be repercussions. You can't just go out there and run your mouth and talk shit because you're trying to buddy up to one side and then the other side comes in. You're like, ah, I don't mean it. I want to be in the back. No, go to the back on Wednesday. <laughs> and I, I would have to suggest to Ryan, you need to have a little more weight in your fucking ass before you can start knocking the biggest star in the company on Twitter just because of who you're friends with. Yeah, the softest man alive may not be CM Punk. It may be one of the two bucks who went in there thinking they were going to do something and got their shit kicked out of them. Those two may be the candidates for the softest men alive and their hangman fake cowboy friend. <clears throat> but what do you think in general? If you are a promoter, you are a booker. I mean, Tony Khan is out to lunch on all this because he's afraid to do anything to actually put his foot down about anything. Yeah. And that's what causes every single one of these situations. The key to all the drama is Tony Khan, because Tony either likes it or is just too scared to do anything about any of it. But if you are... I'm, I'm betting on B there. But what do you do? If you're in the back and you are trying to have a good locker room and forget about like AEW split in half. If you're just a promoter running a show and people just think they should be in the back, whether they're local wrestlers in the area or people that cause trouble or someone who used to work for you, whatever it is, should you just let anyone in the back or should you have no. a tight group of people back there? No, hold on. Well, for, you're asking a million questions in a million different directions. No, for people coming to look to get booked or just to hang out with their friends, there's always been special cases. You know, if, if a huge star came to the building just because they happened to be in his hometown to see an old friend of his, 
and the guy's a legend in the business and blah, blah, blah. Nobody's going to kick him out. But if you've got a bunch of people just trying to hang around to get booked or talk to their friends or potentially get their face seen, you're doing business. You're doing a national TV show. That needs to be kept to a minimum. All these people, in one respect or another, work for that company. So in dealing were they with booked? that... But was Matt Hardy booked? Well, maybe he was and maybe he wasn't, but it's right down the road from Cameron, North Carolina, so maybe he just thought he'd show up, but that's the problem. The problem is, is that if they can do it, if the Wednesday night crew can do it, say, well, we're going to put those people over on Saturday, and we know that CM Punk's the biggest star in the company. He's making, hopefully, more money than everybody else, if Tony's got any sense, but we don't want him on our show. We don't want him around in our locker room because he might beat us up again. So it's entirely forgivable or expected for that guy to say the same thing. Well, I don't want your fucking stooges over here fucking my show up, bringing this drama, putting a fucking mouth on me, as Dennis Corluzzo would say, running their dick lickers about whatever they want to take up for their friends. We don't have time for that shit because we're running a business over here on Saturday night. And if I was Tony Khan, and I've said this before, and I will say it again, I would get everybody together and I'd go, yep, I think the biggest money match that we can put on is CM Punk and FTR against Hangnail and the Buckaroos or Kenny and the Buckaroos or whoever in the Buckaroos. And that's what we're going to be doing at the pay-per-view at the end of the year or whatever. And here's how we're going to get there. And is everybody on board with that? Tell me now so that we can help you carry your shit to the car and you can figure out somebody to call to get booked in the future because you're fucking fired. I'm paying all of you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, and you're going to do the shit you're supposed to do. And I don't care if you have another real fight. Have a goddamn real one. Get it out of your system because the fake one is going to be on my TV or on my pay-per-view and drawing me money. Otherwise, I don't care what you do. Kill each other. Doesn't matter as long as you show up for the match and you do the finish that I tell you to do. Then go out in the parking lot and take baseball bats to each other. I don't give a fuck there either, as long as you can show up next week for TV. It doesn't matter to me. You work for me, and you are going to draw me money, or you are going to leave. It's not hard. If if he was anally fucking penetrating people, say they're flying them all over the country for $100 a night, maybe they should say, well, fuck you. But for that much money, for the talent that some of them possess and the fact that they never would have got anywhere if Tony wasn't green, inexperienced, and halfway clueless? No, for that much money, I'd be going out committing fucking contract hits for the mafia. So that's what I'd do. All right, well, that was AEW Collision, and uh, we'll be back with more on the drive-thru. Why are you starting to close up my show? That's right, it is your show. That's my job, and it's my show, but it ain't too much longer. We will be back on the drive-thru with more classic wrestling as well as future wrestling talk, and we'll be back here next week on The Experience. We almost never leave, and hopefully we'll have a better week next week than we did this week so we can get it to you quicker. In the meantime, thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody.